on a warm summer's evening On a train bound for nowhere I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness The boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bombed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet And his face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy You gotta learn to play it right You got to know when to hold them Know when to hold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done Did I just join the Jordanaires? The group that provided backing vocals for Kenny Rogers' number one hit, The Gambler. Maybe I did. Admit it, you were either singing along or tapping your toe to that song as we begin this program for Thursday, the 11th of January, 2024. I have... Nothing to share with you on this day in music history that made that song, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers, significant. I was merely using this radio station as my own personal jukebox today. My show, my rules, my music, okay? (laughs) But the reason I decided on that particular song today is because, as you no doubt know, this is not the only radio station embedded here in our beautiful offices at the boardwalk no no we have our sister or cousin or brother whatever you want to call them our sibling stations here at the boardwalk chime 96.7 and country 106.7 and as i walked into the building today and into our share space code for never get anything done space area it was early nobody's there to get things done yet but as the office fills up i consider it the place where People gather and don't get a whole lot done. Anyway, the the song that greeted me over the speakers in our open office area was none other than Kenny Rogers' The Gambler. And I thought, well, ding, dang it. Way to go, Country 106.7. Good choice in music. And I thought, if they can play it, I can play it too. I will add, just for a little bit more color for the song that started our show today, If you didn't know, it was not written by Kenny Rogers. He just recorded it and made it famous. It was actually written by Don Schlitz. And prior to Kenny Rogers' recording of it, it was recorded by several others, including Johnny Cash. But not even Johnny Cash could make it the hit that it became for Kenny Rogers. It was a number one country hit for Rogers, and it even crossed over onto the pop music charts, which was not a frequent occurrence back in the late 1970s when that song was first released. 
And Kenny Rogers won himself a Grammy Award for Best Male Country Performance in 1980, thanks in large part to how big a hit that song became. And now you know a little bit more about The Gambler. Hey, thanks very much for joining us on the broadcast this morning. You know, when I was getting ready for the show and putting together the show preview video and I looked out the window, I thought, oh my goodness gracious, I cannot truly remember a time that we have had a winter as gray and dreary as this one has been. But I think the perfect tonic for that is a good old conversation. So thanks for being a part of it today. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. These are the lines of communication that are open to you each and every day here on the show. The email address is mike at 570news.com. You'll find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at Farwell underscore W-R. I was driving home from work yesterday, and you know how, like, I've often thought about this. When there is not a police cruiser on the side of the road with radar, which, if we spot it, always slows us down. But you know how when there's a police cruiser actually in live traffic, it also has the exact same effect, right? Because ain't nobody, oops, I just said that word that Patty said earlier this week. She doesn't like it when I or other broadcasters say ain't. That will factor into our show later today when we do the flip side at 1130. When there is a cruiser, a police vehicle driving in a live lane of traffic, nobody, it seems, wants to be the buddy that passes that vehicle. It has this terrific effect on slowing us all down. And so there I was yesterday, driving home along Highway 78 East in the middle of the afternoon, and I noticed in my rearview mirror a vehicle that struck me as possibly being a police vehicle, not a car but an SUV, and I thought, huh, that's just this should be an interesting experiment. Now, you know me, I m- almost always use my cruise control. I take very good care to not exceed the speed limit while I'm out there on the road. So if I'm on the expressway, Highway 78, I'm doing no more than 100. I usually lock in the cruise control between 95 and 100 when the limit's 90. I know it's creeping over a little bit, but whatever. So I don't use my cruise control as much in the wintertime, but I was making sure I was watching my speed and I was sitting around 97, 98, crept up to 100, 101, coming down a hill, but back down to where I I felt I belonged, in the high 90s when the limit was 90. And eventually, this, it was, it did turn out to be a police vehicle, and it passes me by, which is fine. And then now I've got the best view, right? Now I'm behind the cruiser, and I'm watching all of the other vehicles that are still passing me, but not passing the police vehicle. Right, because that, and I will admit, over time and with experience, I have been known on occasion, if that police vehicle, for example, was locked in right at ninety, and I was doing ninety-five or ninety-six, I I have the courage at this stage of my driving life to pass it, but it was clearly doing about a hundred, whatever the case may have been. So I'm now watching the traffic patterns, 
as this police vehicle is in the middle lane. I'm in the far right lane. And the left lane, the hammer lane, as you like to call it, is wide open. And wouldn't you know, (laughs) wouldn't you know, this white Kia comes a-flying. And I do mean a-flying down the hammer lane, passes all of us, including that police vehicle in the center lane. And I thought, oh, now you went and did it. But, curiously, there were no sirens activated. There were no flashing lights as soon as that, I, I thought, how can you be so oblivious, white Kia driver? Sure enough, the police vehicle moves into the left lane, immediately behind the very fast-moving white Kia. And then, I think the driver of the Kia recognized their error and pulled back into the middle lane, and the police vehicle pulled right back in behind. But still, no flashing lights. Nothing. I thought, isn't that interesting? Maybe they got away with one. Maybe they are just reminding that driver, hey, slow down out here. Oh, wait a minute, though, as we continued along. And this went on because this happened around the Cortland exit. So we were going, you know, Homer Watson to Cortland, past Cortland. Now you're getting into the area where vehicles are merging on from Cortland. You've got the the Highway 8 to the 401 cutoff. You've got Ottawa Street. And then I realized, because I got past Ottawa Street, and then I saw the flashing lights go on and the vehicle get pulled over. Why? Good job, you police officers. You know where it's safest to have a vehicle move over onto the shoulder of the road, right? And so just past the Ottawa Street off-ramp, lights went on, white Kia gets pulled over, and presumably... They got the speeding ticket that they richly deserved. If you had noticed, if you were paying enough attention to realize that the vehicle you were blowing past was a police vehicle, you wouldn't have got that ticket. But I thought it, I thought it was really interesting to watch the police officer, it was OPP, wait until, and in retrospect, it makes perfect sense, right? But they waited until this area it was safe enough for the vehicle to be pulled over onto the shoulder And then you can assess the fine. You learn something new every day out there on the roads, if you're paying attention. And that's the important thing. It is 9.15. And time for the Farwell Show. Five things for you to keep in mind today. Number one, another snowstorm. Oh, lucky us headed our way. It's going to start tomorrow night. Continue into Saturday. This one expected to leave behind about... Twice as much snow as our storm this Tuesday. Number two, Wellesley Township has passed a tax increase of 3.3% for 2024. Number three on your Farwell Show, five things to keep in mind for today. More than five dozen people showed up for a public meeting last night to learn more about Waterloo's budget, which proposes a 7.5% tax increase this year. A 7.3% increase next year. And another 6.4% in 2026. That means taxes in Waterloo will rise more than 20% in the next three years. Number four on your Farwell Show, five things to keep in mind for today. Ontario craft brewers say several breweries could close before Ontario expands sales of alcohol to convenience stores unless the province speeds up a review of its alcohol taxes. And number five... 
the Ontario government says it's closing a number of Service Ontario centres and adding new locations in select Staples Canada stores? Okay, Ontario government, you do you. <laughs> it is 9-17. I wonder if you heard this story from yesterday. It was getting some pretty good traction. I heard Rob Snow mention it on Now You Know. And this is the story of a convenience store clerk in Peterborough who has been charged with aggravated assault after he struck a would-be thief with the same baseball bat that said thief had already struck him with. So it happens in the overnight hours. This thief, would-be thief, comes into the store, demands cash, a struggle ensues. The store clerk is struck with the baseball bat, manages to wrestle the bat away from the would-be thief. Thief takes off, store clerk chases, catches up to, and then strikes several times the would-be thief with that same baseball bat. And it's the clerk that is now charged with aggravated assault, and the would-be thief, well, had to be taken to a Toronto hospital with pretty serious injuries. And a lot of people are like, hey, come on. Like, this clerk was merely defending himself, the store that he worked at, etc., etc. I hate to throw cold water on this for you, but... (laughs) Unfortunately, like I, I understand the, the desire to eke out some frontier vigilante justice here, but as soon as that thief flees the store and you, the clerk, have wrestled away that bat, despite the fact that the thief hit you with it, and you chase him down, it's a whole other ballgame. This is no longer something that falls under self-defense. I'm sorry to tell you that. And so... It becomes incumbent upon the first victim, if you will, to uh, check themselves, to take that deep breath and not react in the same violent manner. Because as soon as that incident carries out beyond the store and down the street, it's the store clerk who ends up on the hook. You don't have to love it, but that's the way the law works. I wondered if you had heard the story and what you think of the result 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Is the store clerk getting a raw deal here? This is the Mike Farwell Show. City News 570. So, did you hear the one about the store clerk in Peterborough who was attacked by a would-be thief with a baseball bat. Clerk manages to wrestle bat away from would-be thief. Would-be thief flees. Store clerk chases. Ah, this is where it gets interesting, doesn't it? Catches up to would-be thief, beats thief with same bat that clerk had already been struck with. And now clerk is charged with aggravated assault. I know that's got a lot of people aggravated, but as I mentioned before the break, uh, unfortunately, as much as we like this idea of some vigilante justice, the law makes it pretty clear that in the course of defending oneself, if the clerk were to have struck the would-be thief with that same baseball bat he'd already been hit with, that's one thing. But in this case, 
The clerk managed to wrestle the bat away. The would-be thief runs, and clerk chases. And then exacts vengeance. And that's where we start running afoul of the law, whether we like it or not. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1-800-570-5715. Mike, good morning. Michael, you're probably going to disagree with me, but I have no issue with what that clerk did. <laughs> it's fine. It's just in the eyes of the law. The law has an issue with yeah, it. I, I know. I think there are two issues here. Yeah, I've seen on Twitter people yapping at the police chief. Don't yap at the police chief. Let yap at the MPs. They need to change the law. I, I think people have lost faith in the Canadian justice system. There's no they justice. It's the, it's the criminal court system. Yeah, yeah. A revolving door of justice. I'll lay a, I'll lay a bag of loonies there that he was the uh, criminal was on breached his probation. Well, I just want to, but Mike, hang on a sec. I just want to be clear that the law you want changed now is to make it okay that when you're angry, when Mike is angry, he wants to have the right no, to run after. Want, Mike, no, what I want, Mike, is the right to be able to incapacitate someone and to detain them. Okay, but that's but that's uh, not what this that's not what happened yeah, I here. Don't, yeah, I don't know what happened there, Mike. And if you I told you what happened damn, here. Yeah, I, if you get me on that jury, I'll nullify it. <laughs> there has been way too much of this hug a thug stuff, repeat offender, revolving justice system, where we have this crap happening. And Mike, you know why I'm steamed today? Why are you steamed because today? Yesterday, because yesterday. I didn't even bother filling in the police report because my tires were slashed in my neighborhood where I'm staying for having hospital treatment. You know what? I am sick of it, Mike. And so is the general public. Uh, Mike, I... Basically, enough's enough. I hear you. I, I understand that. I really do. And the revolving door in the court system is a source of frustration so that... Oftentimes, you have repeat offenders, but we don't know that this individual was a repeat offender. Again, like I, I hate to throw cold water on this idea that we get excited about, right? Like vigilante justice, way to go. The store clerk fights off the robber and, and, and wins the fight. But unfortunately, like I think the law kind of gets this right. The whole idea of a revolving door and... You know, repeat offenders, that's that's a separate issue. And, and I'm happy to talk about that, and I understand the general unrest around that. But in this particular case, what happened, unfortunately, uh, I, I think the law actually gets right. If indeed this would-be thief was a multiple-time uh, offender, whole other story. And then what are we doing to protect all of those store clerks from the repeat offenders. That's a whole other conversation and one that I'm happy to have. All right, we've got to get you an update from the City News Centre, your 9.30 update just a couple minutes away, and then let's have a conversation about pedestrians who, at least in the eyes of one lawyer, are in peril on the streets of our region. That's coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. (laughs) 
It is a story that has been in the news far too often for, dare I say, anyone's liking. It came up in conversation during our monthly segment with regional police earlier this week. And it's also the subject of an open letter issued by a lawyer based in Toronto to local mayors and our police chief and regional chair. The story is the number of pedestrians who have been struck by drivers of vehicles in the last couple of months. The lawyer that issued the open letter is Dave Shelnut. He's a managing partner and advocate with the Biking Lawyer LLP and joins us for the conversation. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Happy to be here. You have called this a call to action. What is the call to action? What are your concerns? We have seen, yet again, we wrote this same letter last year, uh, a terrible string of pedestrians, what we call vulnerable road users, being hit by motorists. Uh, you got, uh, as just reported by the Roger Waterloo Regional Police Service, 38 since November. Uh, and that's only the ones that have been reported. We need an all-hands-on-deck approach here to... Um, get the word out that people have a huge responsibility when they're behind the wheel um, and, and they ought to take driving seriously. Uh, we need tough uh, enforcement, automated enforcement, uh, and we need changes to our infrastructure to keep people safe. So what would changes to infrastructure look like? Let's start there. Sure. You know, last year when we wrote, uh, we were talking a lot about roundabouts. Uh, I, I'm from I'm, I'm born and raised in Guelph, and so we've got some of these too. But Waterloo Region has a lot of them. They're high speed and they're hard to get across for pedestrians. So you, you really got to think about things like raised crosswalks. You've got to think about um, uh, protected inter- intersections that force drivers to look in their blind spot and, and down the, the sidewalk or bike lane before being able to make a turn. Things like that can really save lives. When you talk about automated enforcement, Dave, are you talking specifically automated speed enforcement? We, we see uh, a huge amount of tickets and, and a lot of revenue, actually, from that in Toronto. And so, especially in school zones and residential areas, uh, we, we, we question why that isn't just the, the go-to. Um, we also think that there should be red light cameras. Uh, I, I run my job before 6 a.m. most days, Mike. Uh, and every day someone's uh, just rolling through a red, uh, you know, we, we ought to be able to uh, ticket people uh, and, and build our city revenue on this stuff. Uh, it's happening far too frequently. And so does that mean then things like red light cameras at every intersection or would there be a, would there be, pardon me, a criteria established? Uh, you know, advocates like myself would say everyone, but probably the middle ground is you you know the, the 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 region and the police know which intersections are the worst in Waterloo, so put them there. Uh, simple, right? Okay, and then on automated speed enforcement, and and you talked about school zones and the absolute need for safety there. And again, I don't think we're going to get any disagreement. However, the 38 collisions that we're talking about since November in our region, not a one of them has happened in a school zone. So how would automated speed enforcement in school zones help what's been happening these past couple of months? No, I suggested that that's one area you would put them. But I think you should put automated uh, speed enforcement in, in a 
again, areas where there are collisions. We have all the data. We know where people are being hit. We know where people are speeding and the speed is a factor. So put cameras there as a deterring factor. You know, when I grew up in Guelph, uh, all our streets there were 60 kilometers an hour. But everybody goes 80, uh, you know, and, and for that reason, I never bike to school. That, that is, a, that is a, a, a terrible situation that must, that must change. One area where you and I absolutely agree, Dave, is around the penalties for drivers who are involved in collisions with pedestrians. Uh, the fines that are issued to drivers when there is not serious injury can seemingly max out around $300. And, and I would suggest that definitely sends the wrong message. It's, you know, it, it seems like a pretty minor offense. What would we do or how could we go about changing that? We have for many years now seen the NDP, MPPs put forward uh, changes to the Highway Traffic Act penalties called vulnerable road user legislation. Recently, many local Waterloo Region MPPs, Justics, and uh, for for example, voted down this legislation. They voted against tougher penalties for people who uh, use their automobiles and cause death or serious injury. We really have to re- hold our politicians to account here and demand uh, that if you that that tougher penalties be applied. You know, if if you kill someone with your car. Why you're not losing your license for an indefinite period of time is beyond me. When it comes to these 38 collisions we've seen in our region over the past couple of months, uh, there have been charges laid in some, but not all. And I just wonder, to that end, Dave, how much of a shared responsibility you see our usage of the roads, from people who are walking, riding bikes, rollerblading, e-scootering, to driving, how much of that responsibility is shared by every road user? We've, we've got to really change the narrative around this, Mike. Like, of course, you, you bicycle and you, you you walk as a pedestrian defensively. Assume they don't see it or they don't care. But in all of our efforts to change the problem, we have to focus on the perpetrators of the harm. That is people driving around 2,000 pounds of motorized steel. All the responsibility lays with them. They're the ones harming people, not pedestrians. But surely you're not suggesting that every operator of a motor vehicle is irresponsible. No. What I'm saying is that in our road safety campaigns, we ought to focus our attention on the people who are causing the most harm, who are causing serious injury uh, and things like that. And that, that is automobiles. Um, you know, people always say, oh, pedestrians should wear high boots, but that, that's not the law. Um, and the idea that we should drape our kids in uh, construction vests to go to school, it, it, it really shows just how deeply ingrained our, 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 the primacy of the automobile is in our society. Um, we can address road safety with infrastructure, with enforcement, uh, and, and that's what we ought to focus on, not, not this notion of a shared responsibility. Should pedestrians be able to cross the road wherever they choose? Pedestrians should follow the rules of the road, as should cyclists, uh, and, and be safe at all times. You know, uh, like I just said, assume they, they're going to hit you, they don't see you, they don't care. Dave, I really appreciate your advocacy on this and the time on the show. Thanks very much for being here. Mike, you have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dave Shellnut is a managing partner and advocate at the Biking Lawyer LLP. I'm, I'm really... Glad to hear that last statement, that pedestrians and cyclists should follow the rules of the road. And 
I am absolutely here for the emphasis and the burden of responsibility being placed on operators of motor vehicles. I, I really am. We absolutely have to be more careful, more aware. I'll just go back to the story I shared at the beginning of the show today. Had not seen such an occurrence before. I'm driving home along Highway 78. I see a police vehicle get just absolutely buzzed. Like in the, the police vehicles in the middle lane, vehicle in the left lane absolutely flies by, eventually got pulled over and presumably handed a speeding ticket. But for the driver of that vehicle that blew right past the police vehicle to be so unaware, <laughs> like, yes, I know you don't have to watch for pedestrians on the expressway, but that just shows a complete and utter lack of awareness behind the wheel. And you deserve every nickel that you got fined for that speeding offense. So it's just a reminder to me of how inattentive and unaware we've become in that bubble of ours that is the automobile. I don't believe for a second anybody is out there intentionally trying to make life difficult for people walking, people riding bikes, like this whole idea that there's a war on active transportation users is utter nonsense from where I'm sitting. I I think there are some incredibly bad drivers. I think there are some incredibly bad walkers and or cyclists. But generally speaking, when we're on the roads, I don't think there's anybody out there intentionally trying to make life difficult for anyone else, be it another driver, somebody walking, somebody on a bicycle. The number one issue here is our own behavior and how much attention we are paying when we're doing the things that we're doing on the road, period. That We just have to be aware. And, and the reason? Hello, 650,000 people. I have said time and again, and I have caught myself as a kid who was born in this city. I am gobsmacked at how busy and big it has become. It's an almost daily occurrence now for me where I catch myself and I think, look at all the people. Look at all the traffic. Look at all the joggers along the trail. Look at all of the activity. We are a major metropolitan area. Tenth largest in Canada, I'll remind you. Tenth largest in this entire 40 million person nation. A lot going on out there. And that means a lot more responsibility every time we set foot or tire, whatever kind of tire that is, onto a roadway. We have to be more aware. Trevor sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. I have heard what the police chief has said about it's darker at this time of year. And frankly, I'm not buying that because in my 56 years, the darkness in the winter has not changed. We know it gets darker earlier. Can we put the blame on drivers, pedestrians, and the region? I say the region because they've changed all the street lights to LED to save money. But these lights do not illuminate the streets like the lights we had before they switched. 
You are of my vintage, and the lighting we grew up with lit up both sides of the street, unlike these LED lights. Interesting point made, Trevor. And you know, I'm thinking about the times out walking the dog and the intersections that we cross, and even times as a driver when you're making a turn, and boy, oh boy, those intersections are pretty dark. I don't know that it's necessarily connected directly to the LED lighting systems, but I do wonder this. Wouldn't it be uh, an easy kind of fix? I mean, maybe not to add new lights, but could we could we retrofit existing light poles with brighter lights that splash through the intersection? And I don't know if that becomes a distraction to drivers and all that. I don't know. Like if if we're making things worse as opposed to better, but just so that the entire intersection is lit, because holy Hannah, it is tough. And Bruce writes to Mike at 570news.com, I consider myself a careful walker, and I'm not out walking in the dark anyway, but I have taken minor precautions, which are cheap and easy. I have a couple of bright orange toques with a light band around the forehead, with a light band, pardon me, like a miner's light, and a fluorescent armband about three centimeters wide. You don't need a parrot suit to be visible. So Bruce, when he gets out there on the roads even as a pedestrian, takes some added precautions. What do you make of the situation as it stands in the region today? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Zafari, good morning. My good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. You're welcome, man. I'm driving every day. Uh, I'm on the road five hours a day for a living. And what I don't understand that is somebody going to left or right, when you see there is a walking sign that somebody walking, why you have to pull all the way to the left to make him so worry too close to the lane and obviously you're going to stop. Why didn't you stop behind the lane let the pedestrian go, right? And then you can go. I know everybody needs to go places. And I see also when I'm driving, green light, somebody listening to his music, shaking his butt, you know what I mean? And walking in front of me in green light, I have to stop for him. But when I stop for him, obviously the car behind me, there's a lot of chance that he can hate me, right? It's from both sides. But what I say to, as a driver, I think we have to have four eyes, you know what I mean? Because when my wife was driving and somebody jumped in front of her and she couldn't control and she got the careless driver ticket. But if that driver wouldn't jump in front of her on the winter time, she will not do an accident, right? But she got the ticket of careless driver because she hid from behind the car. Yeah, I I understand. Zafari, thanks for the call. And look, we get We are impatient. I think that's one of the biggest issues. We're impatient on the road. If another vehicle, heaven forbid, is stopping to allow a slower-moving vehicle or a pedestrian slower-moving person uh, across a right-of-way, we get frustrated with that driver. And and what we could be doing is learning from that driver, right? Jack, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? All fantastic. I uh, wanted to call in and give advice, uh, unsolicited files. 
Um, the uh, I always give the pedestrian the right of way, and people will sometimes like, oh no, go ahead. I'm like, no, I got my license when the pedestrian has the right of way. I'm half joking. Um, and then uh, the second thing, I told my kids in the shopping plaza, uh, I don't want you to worry about car sitting. I want you to think they're trying to hit you. You'll be a lot more careful. The pedestrian has to have their heads up as well. Uh, you know, ear, earbuds, telephones, distractions. Like, you know, if, if there is an accident, you're going to lose that. And the pedestrian should be uber, uber, um, you know, cautious for themselves. And um, I, that, that's just my take on it is that it's a shared responsibility. All right, Jack. Appreciate the call and the thoughts on this. Next, we go to Phil. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. And in your last caller, I kind of stole a couple of my words. Everybody's got responsibility. Cars, bikes, trucks, everybody have responsibility. And there's so many distractions. You go through roundabouts. There's bike lanes. There's pedestrian crossings. There's signs for this, signs for that. There's so many visual distractions. We just need to help each other out. Like, help, you know, give the pedestrian the right of way. Help the trucker get through the roundabouts. Like, help the cyclist. Like, but we have so many lanes to check. I mean, there's signal lights for crossing. There's signal lights for bike lanes. Signal lights for advanced greens. There's just so many signs and everything is a lot to take in. And I think we just got to give each other a helping hand, like be patient. You look for the other person and you're calm about walking. When I cycle and I walk, I always wear a bright hat, bright jacket. It helps the drivers out just to see something bright. Instead of wearing all black on a winter day or a winter night, wear something bright so they can see it. People do it with their dogs too. Put a fluorescent jacket on them, a bright collar, a light. Help each other out. We can get through this. We can all get, we can all get along. You know what, Phil? I love that. Help each other out. You know, don't look at it as, oh, you know, I, I'm I'm the, the the lowest priority road user because of this or that, and I have to do this. You're just helping out your fellow road users by putting on something higher viz. And to Phil's point about all of the signage, all of the road infrastructure, roundabouts, etc., it's a reminder to you if you're behind the wheel of a vehicle, oh my gosh, there's a lot to take in, there's a lot to do, there's a lot of responsibility Take your time and make sure you do it appropriately. Navigate the roads safely. Donna, good morning. Good morning, Mike. What I'm noticing is our pedestrians. A lot of them are not crossing at lights. They can be 20 feet away from a, a, a light, but yet they'll cross right across the road like they couldn't even care. They're looking down at their devices. I mean, I can't believe what we ever did before. We all had phones because everybody's got the phone out. And I come to work for 7 o'clock in the morning. I can't believe how many people are on their phones before 7. I always want to know, who are they talking to? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But I do laugh at that. And again, like you said, not wearing light clothes at night. You know, when you're totally in black and it's black out there, who can see you? And then, you know, the things that at the lights make sure that the, the light says that it's it's okay to walk because every time i'm listening to ckco tv at six o'clock at night and they're saying oh we're having all these accidents and people are being hit and i'm thinking to myself if people just think about what they're doing and i know we have a lot of new people here in the region sometimes i think education should include all these things donna i appreciate the call and i hope a show like this goes a little bit towards the education I think we all need. James, good morning. Happy New Year, Farwell. Happy New Year, JB. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, hanging in, hanging in. Um, Quick comment, though. Um, For how much we pay in our taxes and all that and how things seem to keep going up, we really need to, I think, go back to the old... uh, 
old streetlights because you know your email your email listener and you know the other comments and callers and so on you can't see anything if you're not directly underneath a streetlight and there are more than enough cyclists that don't have um, reflectors or lights on their bikes that if they're biking in a bike lane where they should be at night on the road if there is no if there is not adequate lighting nine times out of ten you're going to not see that cyclist until the very last minute because most of them don't wear high vis uh, responsibly anyway. So yeah, we, you know, for how much we pay, let's put the old lights back. I, I, I can't stand it. James, appreciate the call. I think we might be onto something there. I'd love to know a little bit more about the differences. I know we're saving money and that was the whole intent, but I don't know, like, have we had an unintended consequence of not lighting our streets, particularly our intersections adequately? It's an interesting question. We continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. In all of our efforts to change the problem, we have to focus on the perpetrators of the harm. That means people driving around 2,000 pounds of motorized steel. All the responsibility lays with them. They're the ones harming people, not pedestrians. Dave Shellnut is a managing partner and advocate with the Biking Lawyer LLP. He has issued a letter to... The mayors of our three large cities here in the region, our regional chair, and our police chief. Because Dave Shellnut believes, as do others, that pedestrians are in a state of peril in this region. 38 collisions between vehicles and pedestrians since the beginning of November. A good conversation here on the show this morning, one that I hope will continue. I can't get to Kathy's call right now. Kathy, I'm sorry about that. But remember, the 12 o'clock talkback hour offers an opportunity to call in and share thoughts and have a conversation. Right now, I've got to get you to the City News Center for an update. And then let's break down that trade deadline for the Kitchener Rangers. General Manager Mike McKenzie joins us next on City News 570. Every day is a brand new adventure. Now, it's time to embark on this journey together. Trending this half hour on the Mike Farwell Show. On City News 570. Turning it around, back to punt it. Punt it. The Chalet takes the shot. Stop! His first career Here's Edward Chalet, the Seattle Kraken prospect. On goal, waits, backhand, scores! Smooth like butter. The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. Smooth like butter is Edouard Chalet, the first round NHL draft pick to the Seattle Kraken and one of two new members of your Kitchener Rangers, Chalet and Olivier Savard, a defenseman come over from from the Barry Colts in a deal made by Kitchener Rangers General Manager Mike McKenzie just ahead of this year's trade deadline, which was yesterday at noon. Now that his phone has stopped buzzing, ringing, beeping, whatever it does, uh, Mike McKenzie makes time for our show. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for making the time. Uh, This was not your first trade deadline, obviously. How would you characterize it? Was it hectic? Was there a lot of movement? How were the prices? Yeah, every year it's a little bit different. Um, you know, there's definitely a, uh, I, I find personally, there's definitely a difference between when you're trying to add players and then move players and, and rebuild. Um, um, I personally find it a little bit more stressful on the, the adding player side because you feel like you do have a, um, 
you do have a, a duty to, to make your team better and you're, you're looking to make your team better. Um, so um, w- with the direction we decided to go this year, it was a little bit stressful. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think to best sum it up, I think we were, we were definitely okay with, you know, standing pad or just, you know, adding a, a minor piece or two to help our team. But um, I think, you know, the coaching staff and the players, I think they deserved a little help. Um, with the way they've played this season, so you know we looked at it and said if we can if we can get these guys uh, some help and and add a, a player up front and add a player on the back end, then that would probably be the the optimal outcome. And we were able to do that, fortunately, with adding uh, Edward Chalet and Olivier Savard. I think it's interesting when you you talk about that duty and what the team has done, what the coaching staff has done. It's almost like that duty to reward what was a first place team. And I'm I'm wondering Mike if if training camp Mike McKenzie would have believed that trade deadline Mike McKenzie was adding players this year. Did you expect this? No, if I'm being honest, probably not. Um we did kind of look at this as a little bit of a transition year. I don't, I don't want to say rebuild year, but we did want to get more youth in our lineup and we did that with you know, having four 16-year-olds playing for us this year and also signing, you know, three other ones that are playing elsewhere but have all, um, with the exception of with the goalie, um, seen time with us this year and played for us. So, um, you know, it probably wasn't the exact plan we had, but, I mean, part of this job is being able to adjust on the fly and it's junior hockey, and we always say that, that, you know, the preseason rankings and preseason predictions don't really matter because there's so much turnover and there's so much development in these young players that you just never know what you're going to get. And it's a really dangerous game sometimes to forecast and plan. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you can have a plan and, and try to go through a cycle and, and, you know, say we're going to rebuild this year and then we're going to add this year and, and do all this. But at the end of the day, we want to win hockey games and we want to be a good team and we want to be as consistent and find as much sustainable success as possible. And um, it's a really good problem to have that our players are playing well and our coaching staff's doing a good job. And, and maybe does it go against a little bit of what we thought might happen or our plan? Maybe, but at the end of the day, we're winning hockey games. We've had a successful season so far and you need to be nimble and think on the fly, and we need to give these guys an opportunity to try to win more hockey games. And will it work out? It's not guaranteed, but we felt like we owed it to them to do that, and uh, that's the direction we took this year. You talk about getting youth into that lineup, and there's no question that the Rangers have done that this year, and the youth has performed very well. It, It struck me, though, Mike, that... Uh, a first-rounder was kind of the the price you had to pay if you wanted to play this year. Four teams traded away their first-round pick from the draft last spring. When you were working on deals, if somebody asked for one of your first-round picks, was that the end of the conversation immediately? Yeah, most times, yes. I mean, it, it really, I mean, I can't speak for other teams and how they feel about their 16-year-olds, but we're really excited about ours, specifically those two players that um, were drafted in the first round, Luke and Cam. So, yeah, it wasn't really an option for us, I don't think, at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where when you have guys like that, it's it's a really dangerous game to start moving out 
those guys with the talent level that they've shown already this year and projecting out on how good they can be a year or two down the road. I think it's a little bit different if maybe a player comes in and, and you're he's not performing or maybe there's some other things that are going on that you say, well, maybe this is this is someone that, you know, down the road we 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 don't need as much. Um, but our two guys are the complete opposite of that and we will need them and uh they're great kids and they're great players. So that that was something we never really strongly considered and uh we're really happy to to not only keep them, um but also keep all our 2024 draft picks. That was also really important to us. And um, Our plan is to, you know, we've got a really, we feel like we've got a really good 07 group with the guys we've signed already and have played for us. And if we can stack another 08 group um, with our first four or five picks on top of these 07s, then um, I think we can have a really, really solid group for the next three, four years and uh, be in a really good position. As you approach a trade deadline like you just did with the idea that you are going to add pieces, I would assume that it starts with, okay, what are the gaps we'd like to fill? You had an import spot and you get a skilled forward. Maybe you wanted to shore up the D. Where does it go from there, Mike? Do you target a number of players and start working with those teams? And if those players get acquired by somebody else, you you kind of move on the go. I'm sure it's a very fluid situation. How does it work? Yeah, there's lots of dancing around and and looking at different options and looking at different players. And we obviously do a lot of work leading up to the deadline in watching games and watching video on players that may be available. So I think this year especially, um, you know, with myself and Mike Michael Zolt and Jeff Krasakis and, you know, our management group, um, we were really well prepared and in got on top of things pretty early on which players, you know, had value to us, which players didn't, who we liked more than others. And that took a lot of hard work in the months leading up to the deadline. And, and the deadline was more like the exam where you get to actually execute and, and uh, do your thing. So um, fortunate to those guys helping on that end, but it, it is a little bit of a cat and mouse game. And, you know, sometimes you have a plan and, at the end of the day, the other team might not want to, might not like your plan, or might not want to move that player, or uh, you know, it, it might be more expensive than you think. And so you really gotta have a good pulse of what's going on with every team and what your options are. And um, you know, it is a little bit of a game of chicken at times with that. You know, with that deadline looming, we we obviously left it a little later this year, which can be a little bit stressful, but. Um, you know, we're glad that it all worked out and now we can move on and and move on with the second half of the season. When it comes to that negotiation, I got to imagine one of the hardest things is moving on if if the team you're inquiring with doesn't like the price that you're offering. Yeah, it is. And that's where it becomes really dangerous and you've got to have your wits about you. And I think a good negotiator is always has an exit strategy or always can be ready to walk away. I think where things get dangerous or reckless is if you're not willing to walk away and you don't have a hard line at some point. And, uh, you know, teams can take advantage of that and sense that. And I think for us, we always had a, a hard line on certain things. And one of them was obviously the 2024 picks. And another one was on our young players. 
Um, so, you know, we just took a hard line saying we're not doing those things. And at the end of the day, we were okay with just kind of standing pat. And I think that's the important part when you're negotiating is that you always leave yourself an out and you always feel like you you can walk away from the table if uh, if teams are trying to, you know, go over the top or, or do things that you're not comfortable with and, and you can't get caught up in that. What is it about Edward Chalet and Olivier Savard that you like for your hockey club? Um, I'll start with Olivier. I mean, he's he's a guy that's got some um, experience in the league. Uh, he's an 18-year-old player. Um, he's got size. He moves well. He can move the puck. He's a little bit of a, you know, a like a... I, I want to kind of compare him to a Motu type of player. Um, obviously, Simon's two years older than him, but... We feel that, the, you know, with his age, um, he's on kind of the same trajectory as a Motu when he was 18. Just a really solid guy. He can PK. He can play different roles. He can log minutes. He can move the puck. He's pretty responsible. He's got a bit of bite to his game. So we kind of see him in that mold, um, which is great this year because obviously Simon's still here and we've got other guys with Ando and, and Hunter and guys like that too where he can he can come in and play some minutes for us, um, you know, somewhere in the 15 to 20 range, depending on the game and the situation. But the intriguing part about him and, to a certain extent, the other player, which I'll talk about in a second, is that he is only 18. So the service time with him um, was really intriguing to us. And with losing a Motu next year and losing a Hunter – then Olivier will be here next season and has the potential to be an OA. So you're looking at 2.5 years of service time on a player. Um, that was really intriguing to us too, that he's not just a rental and he's a guy that we can continue to work with and develop and get in our system and hopefully be a good player this year for us, but also be a really big piece next year and potentially the year after as well. So that was really intriguing. Um, and the same can be said to a certain extent for Edward. He obviously was drafted out of Europe. Uh, in the first round. So guys like him, similar to Philip Mesar, will have the option to play pro hockey next year in the American League. And that decision will be up to Seattle on on how they handle it with their prospect because he's a signed NHL prospect. So um, there is a chance he could move on next year and play in the American League. Um, But there's also a chance that he's not ready. And again, that's not our decision. So we'll just wait and see. But I think, again, having a player like that with the potential to return um, was definitely intriguing to us where, you know, there is a chance that for sure one guy will and a chance that the other guy could be back. Um, and at the end of the day, he's an elite talent. He's a first-round NHL pick. I know his season hasn't gone exactly how he had hoped, but if you look at uh, the historical nature of our league with imports, it's always a struggle the first half of the season with guys coming over no matter how talented they are. And usually you don't see their best hockey until the second half of their first season, or even in some cases until the next season when they've transitioned fully. So we feel like he's a guy with his talent level. If we put him with good players um, in a system where um, his skill can, you know, we can use his skill with other good players, then there might be potential for him to grow his game and really, really take off playing with other good players and, and get some confidence, especially as he gets adapted to, the North American game. So um, those are kind of, you know, the pieces that we're excited about with both guys. Obviously a, a lot to like in both of those acquisitions. And the other side of the coin is 
you have to say goodbye to some players. You got to give to get, and in this case, what you had to give was along with draft picks, Kyle Morey and, and Blair Scott. How tough are those conversations, Mike? It sucks. There's no other way to to put it. It sucks. Um, it, it extra. It sucks extra when they're local guys, and uh, you know they've they're living at home. They grew up watching watching the Rangers. It was their dream to play for the Rangers. And in one sense, you're thankful that you could help them, you know, live out that dream. But in the other sense, it's sad to see them go. They're both really good kids. Um, I know our guys are going to miss them. They're really popular guys in the, in the locker room. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to make hard decisions, and that was a hard decision that we had to make. So we wish those guys well in Barry, and I think it'll provide them a little bit more of an opportunity to play, um, hopefully in Barry, and kind of reach their full potential and give themselves a chance for a little bit more opportunity there. So now that the dust has settled and we've seen what every team has done, uh, obviously Saginaw did, I think, what was expected and added as much as it could. The Sioux adds... Owen Sound adds, London is the hottest team in the league right now. How do you feel about the team that you're able to put on the ice for the second half of the season and beyond? Well, good. You know, like we we have won, you know, our fair share of games this year. And we have, you know, we've added to, to that with the, with the two acquisitions. So, um, good. We've got belief in our group. I think we have a really close and tight-knit group. I think our coaches have done a really good job. So, um I will say good, but at the end of the day, too, there's other good teams and nothing's certain. And it's the same every year, especially in the Midwest and in the West. It's it's never easy. Um, every year you come into it thinking, oh, you know, maybe this will be a year where some teams take the year off or they aren't that good and it's it's easier, and it never is. And so we can just stop thinking that. It's always going to be hard every year. London's always going to be good. We think we're always going to be good. There's other good teams. Sue's good. Saginaw's good. Guelph's got a good team. Owen Sound added. Like, you know, and even the other teams, it's too good of a league. It's, it's one of those things where you try to give your, your team the best chance to win. Hopefully we can. Um, only one team does, but hopefully we're in the mix and we put, put ourselves in the mix. So that was our goal. And, uh, you know, obviously nothing's for certain but we like our team and hopefully uh we can keep winning some games down the stretch here and have a long run in playoffs it sure is a lot of fun and i love the passion in this town for the hockey club mike really appreciate your time this morning thank you very much for being here yeah thanks for having me mike take care you too bye-bye mike mckenzie the general manager of the kitchener rangers i honestly can't imagine like i know from the passion in this city around this hockey club how you feel about the team and how invested you are in it. And you've got all the ideas and all the answers, right? But there's the man that has to be the final decision maker. He mentioned the team that he works with and Mike Zolt and Jeff Krasakis, his assistants, which is great. And the work starts long before the deadline frenzy begins after Christmas and all of that stuff. But, oh my goodness, what a, what a job it is. And, I mean... To, to some extent, right? What a roll of the dice it is. There are 20 teams. Only one gets to go. And boy, oh boy, is this Western Conference ever something. But do not forget this. The Kitchener Rangers are in first place. They were in first place when the trade deadline arrived. They're in first place heading into this weekend. And they are a better team than they were 
before the trade deadline arrived. I'll take those odds seven days a week and twice on Sundays. Thank you very much. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We feel like we've got a really good 07 group with the guys we've signed already and the played for us. And if we can stack another 08 group with our first four or five picks on top of these 07s, then I think we can have a really, really solid group for the next three, four years and be in a really good position. Mike McKenzie is the general manager of the Kitchener Rangers. He went out and made an acquisition of first round NHL pick to the Seattle Kraken. Edward Chalet. You know already, right, that the second round pick to the Seattle Kraken was Carson Rakoff. So put the two of them together. Oh, yeah, and Philip Mashar, another first round NHL pick. He to the team that shall not be named. I mean, that's a nice ad up front for the Kitchener Rangers. And also from the Barry Colts, Olivier Savard added to the Rangers' blue line at this trade deadline. Kitchener did have to give to get Blair Scott, Kyle Morey couple of Kitchener kids and and great kids like just absolutely loved being around them they're on their way to Barry along with eight draft picks but importantly for Mike McKenzie I think he did two things one is he protected his draft picks in this year's draft he's got all of the picks that he needs one two three four five didn't give up any of those and he didn't give up one of those first round picks this year in either Luca Romano and Cameron Reed, as other teams did. You got to do what you got to do. But Mike McKenzie made it clear he didn't want to do that at this deadline. I I think it's a really successful deadline on the part of the Kitchener Rangers, and I can't wait to get back to the rink tomorrow night. Uh, Is it tomorrow? Yeah, today's Thursday. So Edward Charlet not expected to play this weekend, but we will see Olivier Savard in the Rangers lineup. Uh, It's Rangers and Otters tomorrow night at the Memorial Auditorium, and you can join me and Paul Fixter on the pregame show starting at 6.35, and right through the postgame show, too, because you can bet Fixie's got a thing or two to say about this deadline. We'll break it all down during our broadcast tomorrow night. Okay, we're going to get you an update from the City News Center, and then A young girl, 13 years of age, hailed as a hero for saving a couple from drowning while in Barbados. And it turns out this 13-year-old, originally from Kitchener, we raise them good around here. We'll talk to her next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Fun fact, I have taken one resort vacation in my life. Only one time have I gone anywhere warm and sunny to hang out at a resort, drink drinks with umbrellas in them and all of that stuff, the whole all-inclusive idea. And that one time, that one resort vacation was in Barbados. Here's what did not happen, though, while I took that resort vacation in Barbados. I did not save anyone's life so as i reflect on that i reflect on a life wasted because 13 year old zoe ireland mcclensick did that already she's just 13 and she is already credited along with her friend of saving a life while in barbados zoe is originally from this fine city of kitchener and she joins us on the show to tell us about her heroic exploits. Zoe, good morning. 
Good morning. <laughs> Are you yet used to hearing yourself described as a hero? I'm sure I'm not the first person that's said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty used to it by now. <laughs> I guess, I guess. There's been a lot of coverage of this. Tell me what happened when you were at the Barbados Beach Club in Christchurch. Okay, so um, I was boogie boarding with my friend Emma when I heard a faint cry for help, and I was looking around, and I saw a girl in, a, in an orange bathing suit, so it was pretty easy to spot her, um, and she was waving her arms around, so I went to her, and she told me that her husband was further out, and he was struggling to swim, and that she needed a lifeguard, and that the current was pulling her back further and further. Um, so I noticed that there weren't any lifeguards on the beach, so I acted as quick as I as quick as I could, and I put her onto my boogie board, and I tied the boogie board strap to my wrist, and I pulled her in by going parallel to the beach. And then once she was on the beach, I went out and got her husband and pulled her husband in by going parallel to the beach as well. Why did you go parallel to the beach? Because um, my mom always taught me uh, if the current is uh, pulling you back, you have to go parallel if you actually want to get somewhere. If you just go straight in... You're not going to get anywhere, and you're going to run out of uh, um, energy, and you're going to, well, drown, <laughs> sadly. That's a, that's a pretty smart mom you've got there, Zoe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, after you got the woman safely to shore, I mean, it sounds like you didn't hesitate at all to get back in the water and go out there to save her husband. What was going through your mind, Zoe? Um, getting them to safety. That was the biggest thing. I wanted them to get to safety because I didn't know how long they were out there for. And once you got out there, like, do you know how much time had passed from the time you got the woman to shore and got back out there to help her husband who was still struggling? Um, I'd say I got the woman within, uh, to bring her uh, to the beach. I brought her back within 10 minutes. And when I went to get the husband, it was probably around 10 to 15 minutes long. And by the time you got to him, how was he doing? Like, what was he, was he floating on his back? Like, how, what had he done to stay, you know, to prevent himself from drowning at that point? Uh, he was trying to swim, but I could tell he was stressed out and he was struggling to swim. And he was breathing very heavily. So I calmed him down by saying that his wife was on the shore and that she was okay. And not to worry and that I'm going to help him. Um, and yeah, and thankfully that helped. <laughs> and he stayed calm. So you're a 13-year-old girl. These are a married couple, a man and a woman. Was it difficult for you to, uh, to, to pull them into shore? Like, how hard, was, how hard work was it? Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't very difficult at all. Um, I don't know, but I never really thought about how difficult it was. Um, I just thought about getting them back. Where did you learn to swim so well? Um, my dad, he taught me from the age of 2 to 12 on how to swim. He owns a doorbell swim club in Montreal. And he used to he used to work at uh, CW. So when you got this man and woman to shore, what happened next? How did you get them some help? I, I assume they needed maybe medical treatment or something? Uh, no, they didn't. They were okay. They were just trying to catch their breath back, but they were thanking us like crazy. They're so grateful for us. And there was no lifeguard in this particular area because you said that's what the woman was first asking for. She said she needs a lifeguard. Was there no lifeguard in this area? Yeah, there um, there wasn't any lifeguard in that area. So what happened after Zoe? You get them to the shore. They thank you. They're okay. 
Now what? You just go on with the rest of your day, go back out and boogie board some more? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I know that um, a political party, the Young Democrats in in Barbados, recognized you and your friend Emma for your efforts in, in saving this couple. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we got uh, a gift basket and cupcakes. They were so good. Are you kidding me? <laughs> cupcakes? You get cupcakes for saving people's lives now? <laughs> yeah, they were so good. <laughs> and you've also had a, a quite a bit of media attention. How many interviews have you done already? Um, If I'm being completely honest, I kind of lost count. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's probably over 10. <laughs> Have you have you talked at all anymore to the the couple that you saved? Um, yeah, I'm still uh, in contact with them. Uh, we're friends on Facebook, um, but they made a really nice Facebook post about Emma and I, so it was really sweet. But yeah, we're still in contact with them, and they told me that I have a second home in England, which is perfect because I'm I'm planning on visiting soon. <laughs> of course you are. I mean, why not? Right? You've got a second home waiting for you when you get there for sure. Yeah. Did you did you hesitate at all, Zoe? Did did it ever enter your mind that you might be putting yourself in danger, or did you just always trust that you had the swimming skills to be okay in this situation? Um, at one point, uh, well, I know that if I didn't have my boogie board, I would get a floatable surface that they could float on, because I I knew that if I went out, they would just probably push me down, and then I could drown, and they would drown as well later on. So I knew that if I didn't have my boogie board, I would get one, because then I put then I put my life at risk in theirs as well. So um, I tried my best to think of like the smart uh, solutions all at once. So I tried to act as quick as I could, and thankfully I had my boogie board, so I used that. Yeah, the boogie board seems like the the key to this whole thing. If you didn't have that, it's yeah. a different story. Yeah, completely different, yeah. And so you were able to get them comfortably and calmly onto the boogie board, which you said you attached to your wrist, and then you could just swim them to shore, basically pulling them. You were the tow truck. Yeah. Um, well, first when I got Belinda, I attached it to my wrist, and then when I got Robert, um, I attached it to my ankle, because so, when I got Belinda, I was kicking. Um, and then when I got Robert, I attached it to my ankle so I could pull, like, with my arms. How tired were you by the end of all of this? Um, I was tired, but I wasn't, like, how they were. They were, like, they were still trying to catch their breath. I was, I was, I was okay. <laughs> Uh, how was the rest of your trip after that? I mean, I figure after you save somebody's life, everything else is going to be boring. <laughs> um, I mean, it was pretty fun uh, with the interviews, um, but I really did enjoy my trip. We had a blast. I'm glad to hear that. What do mom and dad think of all of this, Zoe? Um, mom loves it. Mom loves it. She calls herself the momager. <laughs> <laughs> the momager, because she's managing all of your interviews. Yep. It was your mom who I arranged this through, yes. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. My dad's so proud. I love it. It is such a great story. I, I am amazed that you were able to think as quickly as you did and, and pull off what you pulled off uh, all by your 13-year-old self. It's really impressive, Zoe. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining the show. And uh, please let me know the next time you save a life so you can come back on the show, okay? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe, have a great day. Thanks for joining me.
Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Zoe Ireland McClensick, 13 years young, uh, native of Kitchener, and while on vacation in Barbados, sees a damsel in distress, if you will, out in the water. Good thing she had that boogie board. She goes and saves the wife and then goes back out and saves the husband, and now she has forever friends and a place to stay, a second home, when she chooses to visit England. I cannot imagine having the presence of mind and the wherewithal to do what Zoe did, but thank goodness she was there when she was, and she was able to save that couple from the UK from potentially drowning while on vacation in Barbados. What a story, what an impressive young lady. Glad we could get her on the show today, thanks to her momager, and that she could share the story with you on the show. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to stay in the same vein here with our next story. It's not saving a human life per se, but a Cambridge woman has become a flight angel. What is a flight angel, and for whom was she an angel? We will tell you that coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. Stay with us on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We just had the chance to hear from 13-year-old Zoe Ireland McClensick. A young girl originally from Kitchener who was on vacation in Barbados when she encountered a couple struggling in the water. And given her strong swimming skills and the boogie board that she was out, I suppose, boogieing on in the water, uh, 13-year-old Zoe was able to help both wife and husband back to the safety of the shore. Pretty incredible story. Along similar lines, I'm really excited to talk to this next guest, Dana Ferrareza, who is a Cambridge native and who has become a flight angel. Not saving the life of a human, but maybe saving the life of one of my favorite creatures on the planet. And Dana (laughs) makes time for our show this morning. I had not heard, Dana, of a flight angel until I read your story. How did you become a flight angel? Sure, yeah. So I hadn't heard about this either. Um, So I joined a Facebook group for the community. I was going down to Puerto Vallarta for the first time. So I joined a Facebook group just to understand a bit more about the community, activities, events, different things like this that I could participate in. And one of the posts was from a rescue organization called the Sula Society. And they had a a photo of a, a beautiful dog and it said flight angels needed. So I was intrigued. And from there, um, did a little research online, went to the Sula Society website. And basically, a flight angel is chaperoning a dog via your, your air, via, um, uh, airplane, um, transporting that dog from one location to a waiting adopter in a different city. So that's how I found out about it. And I get the sense from just tracking you down for this conversation that you are very much an animal slash pet person, aren't you, Dana? (laughs) I am. I am a volunteer member with the Cambridge Homeless Cat Rescue. We are a not-for-profit in Cambridge, 
and we work with stray homeless uh, cats in the area doing spay-neuter release, uh, trap-neuter release, um, rehoming, and working with homeless uh, cats to get them adopted. So once you signed up, volunteered to be this flight angel, what's what's required? I mean, you're taking a trip to Mexico, which is lovely, but then you add this extra element to it. What's required of you as a flight angel? Yeah, good question. In fact, my husband wasn't particularly keen on it at first until we found all the details, <laughs> because when you're traveling, certainly you want things to be as quick and easy as possible. Um, so really what happened once I signed up Um, We joined a Facebook uh, chat group with the rescue and the adopter who was waiting here uh, in Canada. And from there, really, we we handled all the logistics uh, via chat. So really, it was the rescue. We we, um, determined a time to meet at the Port of Vallarta Airport. Um, They arrived on time. Um, And then from there, um, really, we coordinated all the logistics online. Um, It was actually no difference in terms of what we did for travel. We were met at the airport by the rescue, a representative from the rescue. They had the dog. They had all the paperwork. They actually went with us to the desk to check in, made sure the dog was checked in. Um, In fact, my husband and I went through security while the rescue was still waiting uh, with the dog to have the dog put onto the airplane. So, we were already having a cerveza while the rescue was um, uh, working with the check-in desk. So we really had no additional time, nothing extra on our end. The only difference and the only extra time we experienced in the entire process is when we landed in Canada, uh, whereas you would typically just walk out the door and, and get to your car, we had to go through customs with the dog to show the paperwork uh, that we had been provided by the rescue so I think overall, the, the process took an extra, I'd say, 30 minutes when we arrived at Pearson and had to go through customs with the dog. As somebody who himself uh, would claim very much to be a dog lover, Dana, I, can, I, I would imagine that this is something that you would describe as worth it because you're bringing a dog from a rescue back to a loving family home here in Canada. Absolutely. Um, you know, certainly the Sula Society and other rescues take wonderful care um, of these dogs. Ultimately, a lot of these dogs um, that are in, you know, various countries, uh, and I'll use the Port of Vallarta, a lot of these dogs will just live out their life at the rescue, and certainly they're well taken care of. Um, but just thinking of the fact that in this case, Zoe, who we brought home, um, is going to experience a really lovely, beautiful life. Uh, she's actually living near Ottawa right now on a large piece of property so she can run and play. Um, you know, this is a real second chance for, for a lot of dogs. So it, feel, it felt great to be able to, to participate in that. Can you tell me a little more about Zoe and the handoff to her, to her new family near Ottawa? Yeah, sure thing. So Zoe was a, is a, you know, a medium-sized dog. She was described as a lab mix. Beautiful, beautiful, very friendly dog. Um, and really, once we um, were, came out of customs with the dog, she had been crated uh, the entire flight. She was actually checked in with luggage. So she wasn't on the flight with us. Um, but really, as we pulled right out of um, uh, kind of customs, uh, we could tell we were had been in communication with the adopter who was waiting patiently on the other side for us at arrivals. Um, we saw them right away. She'd come down with a friend from Ottawa, she had the biggest smile on her face. 
we brought Zoe over to her, um, who immediately went for a little walk. We put her on a leash and kind of walked her around, let her do her business outside. Uh, and really, the adopter was just over the moon and so excited. I think there's a lot of anticip- anticipation and excitement, certainly on the adopter's uh, side. So uh, Zoe is now very happy. She has a new dog brother. She's got a couple of kids in the house with her. So she's really adjusting to just be a very, very happy, healthy um, house dog. What was your sense of how Zoe handled this entire experience? (laughs) (laughs) I was nervous. I'm not a, I'm not particularly experienced with dogs. I love them, but I I haven't really had a lot of them in my life. Um, uh, Ultimately, Zoe was in cargo through the flight. So I was slightly worried the entire flight about her. Um, she, she, when, when we received her out of, uh, luggage, she was happy. Um, she, you know, she was taking pets through the cage. It didn't seem to be a a big stressor for her. Um, overall she handled it like a champ. Why did you decide to do this? In a way, we're very privileged. You know, we we have this option and ability for many of us, um, you know, to travel to various locations, exotic locations. Uh, I think just a chance to um, not only give Zoe a chance at a great life, but by virtue of um, Zoe leaving the rescue, that leaves a spot for another local dog to enter um, uh, the rescue and, and hopefully have a chance to be adopted or at least live a happy, healthy, safe life. Um, so, you know, it feels good to do a good thing. And, um, you know, it's one animal at a time, oftentimes an animal rescue. Uh, so this was always opportunity. So it just makes you feel really good. You mentioned that just on the logistical side, maybe your husband was a little bit reluctant, but this all went about as smoothly as one could expect. Would you do it again, Dana? I will look every time I go away. I will now look to see if I can support a local rescue, doing some type of flight angel work. That is now my personal goal every time I travel. That is absolutely incredible. And again, as a dog lover, uh, kudos to you for rehoming to a loving family, uh, another dog from a rescue in another part of the world. It's a great story. Thanks very much for sharing it with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Dana Ferrareza is a Cambridge woman and flight angel for the first time she has tried it. She says she will do it again on her trip to Puerto Vallarta. She connects with a dog rescue there and brings a dog from the rescue there back home to a family in the Ottawa area here in Canada. What a cool way to add, you know, a little bit of goodwill, I guess, to your sun, sunshine and sand-filled vacation. Well done. Love it. And glad we could share the story with you. Glad Dana could make time for our show to share that story with us today. We are fast approaching 11 a.m. We'll get you an update from the City News Centre at that time, three minutes away. And then a conversation about something that always strikes close to the bone for me. For the life of me, I cannot understand how a country that was literally united by rail has such pathetic passenger rail service today. It utterly blows my mind. Well, an NDP MP from British Columbia is attempting to change that. I'm not sure how successful he's going to be, but he's certainly got my support. We'll we'll talk about his bill and what we might be able to do to change the way 
passenger rail is treated in this country. That's coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Taylor Backrack is a member of parliament in British Columbia. He is an NDP member of our House of Commons. And he thinks that train passengers in this country need to be of higher priority. And to drive home his point, he took the train from Toronto to Vancouver for Christmas break. And he reported on his journey. And and what ended up happening was that the train had to pull over several times along the path to allow a freight train to pass by. And that trip from Toronto to Vancouver took about a day longer than it would have 50 years ago. To put it in a nutshell, we're going backwards when it comes to at least passenger rail service in this country. Alexander Ray is a doctoral candidate at Western University who focuses on public transportation planning and makes time for our show this morning. AJ, good morning. Good morning, Mike. What the heck are we doing wrong here? (laughs) (laughs) We've been doing wrong uh, for a long time, unfortunately. Uh, Ever since uh, Canadian National was privatized in the 1990s, uh, really, we've seen a substantial decline in passenger service, but the decline started before then. Uh, you know, Canadian Pacific cut their passenger service in the mid-70s and sold all their rolling stock to uh, the new Via Rail, which was actually a brand of Canadian National for passenger service. And then really the decline started from there, and we're now in this present situation where we're at worse travel times by train than we were in the late 1800s in this country, which is ridiculous. It is. It's utterly ridiculous. And and look, I get the argument from the freight side of our rail system because we've got to move that freight too. But how is it that we ended up prioritizing the freight over the passengers? Well, really what it was was government disinvestment in Via Rail. The one thing to remember about Via Rail that's unique among quote-unquote sort of crown corporations or entities that are allowed to kind of operate like a business uh, within government. So think of uh, Canada Post, for example, as a nice analog to it. The issue with Via Rail is it wasn't actually set up by legislation. It was just set up by a cabinet order in the 80s. And so it actually has no power to go out and raise money on its own. It's completely beholden to the federal government for funding. And so the federal government has chosen not really to fund Via Rail from a capital perspective. And Via actually can't go out and seek new investors to be able to build new rails or invest in its rolling stock or invest in its operations. So it's really hamstrung by that. And then on the flip side, you know, Canadian National is actually unique internationally because it doesn't really enter into contracts with uh, the people it supplies transportation services to. What it offers is a scheduled rail service. 
So it's got a 9 a.m. train, it's got a 1 p.m. train, and then it's got a night train. And essentially, your goods get put on one of those three trains, and then you know roughly within six hours if it's heading up and down the corridor, it's going to end up at the other end of the corridor here in Ontario. And so that's really unique internationally. And I think part of the problem with trying to run a passenger service on a system that has to keep to that schedule in order to deliver on-time performance for its clients. Right. And and with CNN, oh, CNN, CN owning the <laughs> tracks, I guess there's no incentive for it really here to prioritize passenger service. Well, and there's no legislative requirement for it to do it either. I mean, it, it costs them money if their freight trains are delayed. And so when they do get a delay somewhere else in their network, they use the passenger train as a way to catch up. It's almost like a cheat code. So you just say, oh, well, the VIA train was supposed to be scheduled to run on that track, but we need to run our freight train and catch up by an hour. So we're going to shunt that VIA train to the side on a siding somewhere between Toronto and Kingston and let the freight train pass. And it's going to take an hour and a half for that freight train to pass. And that's the problem right now with passenger services. It's just not reliable enough. It's actually not the speed that's the problem. It's the reliability. If someone can't plan a day around being able to take a train uh, between two major cities in Ontario, let alone across the country, um, we've got a real problem with how passenger service is operating. And and on the micro level, and I'm I'm sure you're tuned into this as well, this is part of the reason we're having such a difficult time establishing all-day two-way go train service between the region of Waterloo and, and the greater Toronto area. Absolutely. One of the issues right now is Metrolinx doesn't actually own the full set of tracks that run from Toronto to Kitchener. There is a small section that is owned um, by CP Rail, actually. Um, and so that's a challenge of we don't actually have any legislative tools to essentially tell CP Rail, hey, Metrolinx will pay you for the use of these tracks, but you have to ensure that their trains run on time and that you're not delaying them in order to catch up within your own network or, um, you know, meet your own needs. And the other issue, too, is freight rails uh, fundamentally can be in worse condition than passenger rails. When you're just moving, you know, bulk goods and things that are kind of tied down and not really overly fragile, um, you don't have to maintain as high quality of a rail system. But some of the bumps that you can go over in some of the freight rails in this country uh, would send a passenger flying through the roof of a train car if it was running at a high enough speed. Um, So that's the other problem is just the quality of the rail infrastructure now, because it's been oriented so long to freight, has really slowed down um, passenger trains from what their speed used to be when, you know, we had the Grand Trunk Railway that was running uh, all through southwestern Ontario. Does this lack of passenger rail service reliability, AJ, put us at any kind of competitive disadvantage in Canada? Certainly it's a competitive disadvantage for Canada. Like, when you talk about other countries, and including the United States even, um, the United States with Amtrak does have legislative priorities. So Amtrak is allowed to pay other operators to use their track, and then they, in return, get priority on that trackage to be able to run an effective passenger service. And so even our partners to the south, who we think oftentimes are worse than us on a lot of uh, rail transportation issues, um, actually are operating a better passenger service than we do. But you go to places in Europe, um, as well as Asia, you know, there are plenty of countries that are running 
both passenger and freight service on the same trackage without any issues. And they're running them at frequencies that um, would just be incomprehensible to uh, the Canadian mind. Of There are sections of trackage in Central Europe that uh, are having a train run over them every single five minutes. And that is a mix of passenger and freight trains. And it's just because the tracks are of such high quality and the system is operated from a central perspective that it doesn't sort of... Um, favor one mode over the other and so everything gets balanced out and then you're able to run a more effective rail system i'm just thinking back on what you said about the federal government's essential ownership of via rail so what if we privatized it well i i think the solution is not really full privatization it's what actually olivia chow's private members bill in the early 2000s would have done which is just formalize VIA as a true crown corporation, which would then allow VIA to operate essentially like a business and go out and raise capital to be able to invest in their operations and infrastructure. And certainly, I think you would find that CP and CN might even invest in VIA to be able to then support them in building their own trackage that perhaps is separate from the, the current freight rail trackage. But I really think we do need to keep it as a public rail operator because we have a system in which CN was essentially uh, a public company that was fully privatized and was sort of given a gift of, you know, tens of billions, if not close to hundreds of billions of dollars worth of infrastructure across Canada. And we've just allowed them to operate it now for uh, close to 30 years. And really, at the end of the day, we need to figure out how we get that public benefit back that we lost. So MP Backrack's private members bill uh, looks at amending the Canada Transportation Act so that railway companies would have to give passenger trains the right of way or face very stiff monetary fines. Is this the legislative tool that we need? I think it's a it's a starting point is what that is. It's it's a starting point and it puts us on equal footing with actually the United States in regards to um, how they support Amtrak, which again is a similar sort of government-owned corporation. But Amtrak itself is actually um, allowed to go out and raise capital um, subject to the requirements of Congress. But um, I think really this private member's bill is a starting point for Canada, and then we need to have a serious discussion about how we can best uh, support via rail and turn it into an actual effective rail operator. AJ, I really appreciate you making time for the show today. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks for having me on, Mike, and uh, stay warm out there. I'll do my very best. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A.J. Ray is a doctoral candidate at Western University. He focuses on public transportation planning, working on and almost about to obtain his Ph.D. in geography. As I said before the news update, this is a story that just cuts right to the bone for me. I'll take you back, and I've shared this anecdote before so forgive me if you've heard it but my good buddy and i took our fathers to a blue jays game years and years ago and we're coming home on the way back so this is after 11 p.m probably pushing midnight and i guess there was construction i think it was i can't quite recall either way we're basically at a dead stop on the 401 and it's one of the most frustrating things at any time of day but I might argue particularly around the midnight hour when you would expect there to be far less traffic on the 401 and then far less trouble. And my buddy's dad looked out the window of the car 
and said, you know, there's a train track right over there on the other side of those trees that runs parallel to this highway. Why don't we use it? <laughs> and I've never forgotten that night and how it made me sort of reevaluate our transportation priorities in this province, in this country. And I also confess, so you can call me on this for sure, but I, I confess to having a very romantic notion of train travel. I, I've always loved it, with the exception that it's too damn expensive and it takes way too damn long to get places. Like, I've traveled by train before for a treat, for a different experience, and I absolutely love it. It's far more civilized, in my opinion, than flying. But unfortunately, the way that it works now, it doesn't get you anywhere any quicker than driving, for sure. And it is really, really expensive. The last time I traveled by train was with that same buddy, and we had a two-for-one deal with Via. They were having some kind of sale, so it made financial sense. Nonetheless, and I will also just add, oh, it's just an image that I will never forget. I flew out to British Columbia to start my radio career full-time out there, and I I landed in Kelowna, and then my then-boss picked me up. We drove the Trans-Canada from Kelowna into Salmon Arm, British Columbia, where I got started. And along the way, you're kind of winding through the mountains, and, and there was a train doing the same thing, winding along the side of a mountain. It was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. And to me... That just screams Canada. Of course, looking back, of course it was carrying freight, right? So I don't know why it excited me so much. It's not like I could have got on the train to get... Well, I could have. It just would have taken a day longer than it would have taken 50 years ago based on the experiment done by BC MP Taylor Backrack. I long ago submitted or put forward the idea that I think it would be bold, but I would consider voting for the person who pledged to increase the GST, this is before the HST, this is how long ago I tabled my idea, but increase it by 1% with the stated goal that the increase would fund a full-fledged national transportation network, like getting our rail system back up to some sort of usefulness for passengers. We are in such different economic times today, I wouldn't even know where to begin on all of that. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that this is an abject failure on our part as a country that, frankly, our passenger rail service sucks. I know that's a little bit on the vulgar side and it's pretty blunt, but that's how I feel about it. Rail was literally what united us as a country. And in the past 155 plus years, what have we allowed it to do? Die on the vine. Simple as that. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'd like to know. So please tell me if you think we are failing and failing miserably when it comes to passenger rail. Or maybe yours truly just has way too romantic a notion of how to get to and fro in this vast nation of ours. But I think it's a tremendous failure. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1-800-570-5715. George, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you? Good. Good to hear. But one reason why you were so excited 
when you got to BC and you saw that beautiful train coming around the mountain, was that you knew what connected us Canadians back, what, 1870s or 1880s? Yeah, that's the thing, right? It connected us. You're right. And you knew that was what Canada was about. It's sad to see it go. I heard your guest say that in the 70s, really when the decline began, I remember a family taking a train ride to Montreal, 77. It was beautiful. We enjoyed it. We still have great memories. It'd be nice if they could bring it back, Mike. I agree, George, and I appreciate the phone call. Not far from where I worked in Salmon Arm, in the community of Revelstoke, which was actually one of the areas where uh, we also had a radio station in the small network that I worked at out there. Not far from Revelstoke, British Columbia, is the site of where the last spike was driven to complete our national rail system. And you can bet your bottom dollar that I stopped there and took in the site and thought of the moment, thought of what it meant to us as a nation way back when. Oh, are we ever missing the boat, or in this case, the train, on passenger rail service in this country, aren't we? Let me know what you think. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. The problem right now with passenger services, it's just not reliable enough. It's actually not the speed that's the problem, it's the reliability. If someone can't plan a day around being able to take a train between two major cities in Ontario, let alone across the country, we've got a real problem with how passenger service is operating. That is A.J. Ray, a doctoral candidate at Western University. He focuses on public transportation planning. And he weighs in on the story of a British Columbia MP who took the train from Toronto to Vancouver to make a point. And his point was, it landed well. It took him a day longer to make that trip this Christmas than it would have 50 years ago. Such is the state of passenger rail in this country. Let's go back to the phones. Mary, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I took the train from, you know, about 1998 um, from Ottawa to Kitchener. And I got on that train at 10 a.m. in the morning, and I got into Kitchener about 11 p.m. That's ridiculous. That's that, utterly uh, it ridiculous. Was the milk run. It was the milk run, yeah. mind you. Yeah. But, and also a two-hour wait in Toronto, uh, but I didn't want my children coming there. But what I'm saying is, Mike, and the, the things are so expensive I think, and I even thought that a while back, if we should put money into developing these railways and bringing down the cost, I'd love to go, you know, absolutely place at a decent price and a good time. Yeah, Mary, you're absolutely right. I want to get to more callers, but that would take significant investment. We're talking in the tens of billions of dollars. I'm not sure we've got the stomach for it. Lorraine, good morning. Good morning. Um, now, I haven't traveled by train for a while, but in 1962, um, I went out from Toronto, well, from, uh, came from Galt to Calgary on the, on the train. It was just a wonderful, wonderful trip. And then I didn't go all the way to the, through the mountains because I was going then down to Montana to work. But, um, Oh, it was it was a great way to go, and I I think it's a shame that we're we've lost now. Now another time I went in 1972, 
or 70 from went right, got onto a sleeper train right in Galt and went uh, to Montreal. And uh, that was really fast. That was really a good trip, too. And then um, more recently, actually, I took a day trip to Montreal to, at Pierre Trudeau's funeral. And uh, coming back, I took, uh, it took me a shorter time to go on the train from Montreal to Kitchener than to get from Kitchener to Galt by bus and whatever. So it was... It, uh, it was efficient until then. Um, I think it's a shame. It's a wonderful trip. Going through northern Ontario was just it's just beautiful. Dude. I agree. Listen, I, I really got to get to the news, Lorraine, but yeah. you, you, I, I can't resist. I have to ask, what takes a young Lorraine to Montana for work in 1962? Well, I was a, I was a, I was a nurse. Yeah. Um, a girl that I trained with. Um, had an aunt in the convent uh, at a hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital in Lewistown, Montana. She was there, and I went out to stay with them and work there for a while. I love it. Thank you for sharing that story. I'm fascinated by stories like that. Me, I'm here. Always have been. <laughs> well, there's that brief time out in BC and a little bit more time uh, up north in Thunder Bay, but other than that, yeah, this is the place. That, I think I'm going to die right here in this chair someday. Uh, an update from the City News Center is coming up. And then Thursday mornings, 1130. How about the flip side with an idea, as we have a little bit of fun together, inspired by you? That's coming up. Stay with us. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. tell you what i'll make you a deal right now okay okay i will take the slightly colder or even quite frankly at this point dramatically colder temperatures next week if you would just could somebody send the sun out how about how about just a little bit of sunshine who's with me on this make it minus freaking 15 i don't freaking care can i have some sun please how about some sun I'm sorry. It's the, the, the gray skies since December the 21st. We're 20 days. We've had one day of sunshine since then. Oh, my goodness gracious me. And the last mainly sunny day takes us all the way back to December the 15th. It's far too long between sightings of that thing that apparently is still up there somewhere, glowing on somebody, but ain't glowing on us here. Uh-oh. There, I, you see what I did? See what I did? I just inadvertently used the word again. Uh, no. You see how that sounded? I just said I, I inadvertently used the word again. I mean, the word that I'm not supposed to use. Not again. Forget it. I'm confusing myself in all of this. <laughs> we got a call the other day, and this is what inspires the flip side. We do this every Thursday morning at 1130. Have a little bit of fun, a little bit of time on the lighter side of things. I'll, I'll stop kvetching about the lack of sunshine, okay? I promise, at least for this half hour. And we'll reflect back on a call that we got from Patty during the 12 o'clock talk back on Monday. And you know what? Patty just wanted to get something off her chest and onto the air. And I'm here for it. I'm always here for it. That's why we open phone lines to you. And this is what Patty had to say when she gave us a call on Monday. You and many people use eight 
all the time. And it just, I don't know, I grew up not, I thought it was just like a slang word and it was something that wasn't proper English. And um, so maybe I'm wrong. I am older and I just maybe I'm just like not with the, the more modern times of speaking. But so that was it. It's not really a rant, but I just I hear it not just from you, but from a lot of people. Patty, you're right. I just said it completely inadvertently a moment ago. I used ain't again. And I have absolutely come to use that more often. I don't know why, but I'll tell you this much that I've learned. And it doesn't matter. Patty says, well, I'm a little older. That's okay. So am I. And I definitely grew up in an era where it was frowned upon. We were reminded to use better grammar when speaking. We could do better than throwing around a non-existent slang word like ain't. Here's something, though, that has occurred to me. If you use ain't in an email or on Microsoft Word, it doesn't put the red squiggly line beneath it. Your computer, as long as you make it the appropriate contraction, right? Put the apostrophe where it should be. A-I-N apostrophe T. You've got yourself a word that at least Microsoft thinks is a word. I don't know. Ain't up to me, is it? But for Patty's sake, I will not use ain't for the remainder of this segment, at least. If it slips out, because I do abuse the grammar from time to time, I apologize for that, Patty. But it made me think that that's where we could go with the flip side this morning. What word and or phrase is it that always chafes your chaps? What just is like fingernails on a chalkboard for you? Christine Clark, our morning news anchor on All News Mornings with Mark Douglas, said to me this morning, just around the corner. Well, what is just around the corner? Is it in a day? Three days? A week? week and a half what you have to define better christine told me what just around the corner means how many times do we throw around oh yeah i'll be with you in a sec well a sec's already up right as in one second so come on now for patty it is ain't for christine clark it's just around the corner i will once again add in because i've mentioned this before and i think it's sort of working its way out of our language which is great at least not being used as often epic oh my goodness talk about overused i would like to put the four letter word epic onto a space shuttle and blast it off into orbit devin robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass is there a word or a phrase that gets on your nerves surprisingly no not yeah, at the moment i knew that because i say all kinds of ridiculous nonsensical things on this show every day and you roll with it you are like the <laughs> ultimate duck with water rolling off your back yeah just go with the flow <laughs> i mean i know a lot of people gripe about the word moist oh my goodness yes they do with good reason that word is disgusting yeah, I, I, i'm i'm it's i if you ever touch something and it's moist i've stop never stop it what are you saying it for <laughs> I'll just say it's it really does encapsulate what it is. Like if you touch something and you that word comes to mind, you know exactly what's it's doing what it's meant to do. It's (laughs) conveying the message. Oh, it's conveying something all right. It's (laughs) conveying a very disgusting go wash your mouth out with soap, Devin. All right. Okay. All right. So Devin is gonna why did I'm not even gonna say that word again. That's how much that word disgusts me. Ain't just around the corner as a phrase. Epic. If there's a word or a phrase you never heard again 
I would like to know what it is. But you're going to have to hear it when you say it. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. George, what do you got? Mine is going back 40 years, and today it still bothers me when I hear people use it. It's more of a phrase. There's an old girlfriend, and this is what she would say. Let me put it to you this way. <laughs> would go on and on every day. The more, I mean, sorry, George, let me put it to you this way. It would drive me bonkers. Even today when I hear that. You know why? You know why, George? Because when somebody says that, they're, they're explaining something to you, and you don't want to have it explained. Maybe. <laughs> well done, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, George just made me think of another one, not because of an ex or anything like that, but just thinking way back. And it's still one if I'm sorry and I'm so judgmental, but if I hear you say I seen, oh boy, I have seen, right? We need to contract before the scene. I've seen. Oh, I see. I saw. You have seen something or you saw something. You can't seen something. Oi, oi, oi. That one gets me every time. Lorraine, good morning. Good morning. Um, this is not exactly a phrase, but it's the, uh, the um, an apple is what's supposed to be used. Yes. People say a apple. Uh. Is that no longer... Um, you know, oh no, it's very, a thing. Very prevalent. And isn't it? Is it just me, Lorraine, or isn't it harder to, to say, say uh, apple? That's right. It doesn't flow. It doesn't flow. You need an apple. Yes, and can I just say a little bit more about uh, being out west? <laughs> sure, you can, Lorraine. Okay. Well, well I was at um, Lewistown. Boeing was there, and uh, they were <laughs> the book of the. It was a hopping town. Every second establishment was a bar. And Boeing was, I guess, because there's a lot of men there from the... From the what are you saying, there. Lorraine? Men drink a lot? Is that what you're saying? And we, were, and we had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, they couldn't talk about it. They'd have to, you know what, kill me if I, they talked about it. But they were putting in, making and putting in Minuteman, Minuteman missiles all across northern, the northern oh. field. And yeah, that was at that time that they were putting those in there. Sure. Yeah. Super so interesting. Time. You have lived such an exciting life. I have. I've had a wonderful life. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks, Lorraine. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Have a great day. When it comes to Anne, as Lorraine said, what bothers her is when somebody says, I'll have a apple instead of an apple. I've always wondered about this, and I think it cuts both ways, with a historic or an historic achievement. I like to default to an historic, but anyway, it's been an honor meeting you, the silent H, but historic has the H that you sound out. But I always thought it should be an historic. Anyway, I'll just leave that there and go to Gary. Gary, what word or phrase really chafes your chaps? Mike, one phrase that gets the back of my hair standing up is when someone says, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Why, Gary? Because somebody's telling you to suck it up? I do not like to be called a buttercup. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> Great day. Listen, there are a lot worse things you could be called than Buttercup. Quick aside, a good friend of mine, oh my gosh, I better text him, it's his birthday today. Whew, okay. He once wrote a screenplay and we took his screenplay and filmed it 
And so we were all the amateur actors in his indie movie way back when. One of the lines in that movie was, things don't look good for you, princess. And we use that. We've used that for 20 years since. No matter who it is we're talking to. So it doesn't matter your gender. You're going to get called princess. Gary doesn't like being called buttercup. In our group of friends, get used to being called princess. It happens quite a bit. Rob, good morning. Uh, literally, it's the word literally that I literally really hate, literally. Oh, Rob, so well said. And you know, I think it was just in the last segment I was using it, but I emphasize it when I use it because when I said it was literally the rail system that united us as a country, I'm using it correctly. Yeah. My, but what you're getting at is, not. yeah, I you it's overused and improperly used, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. You're so on the money. It is absolutely abused. Literally means, well, not figuratively. How's that? Pedro, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Hey, buddy. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, the phrase for me is, you know what I know? You know what I'm thinking? What, what I know? You know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. That's why you're explaining it to me. <laughs> That's like a check-in, though, isn't it? If I'm explaining something to you, and I see that glazed look in your eyes, Pedro, and I've seen that look from you before, I'll be saying, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, Pedro, are you with me yet? No? Okay, let me explain it some more. <laughs> it gets so used. It's, everybody says, you know what I mean? Or, you got me? It's like, no, I don't. For an explanation. I, <laughs> Pedro, I love it. I love it. Really well said, my friend. You got it? You know what I mean? No. I don't. Explain yourself better. Gosh darn it. How about that yesterday when our dear friend Paul from Preston called and went off about Sydney Island and oh my goodness, five minutes later, I still don't know what the hell he was talking about. You know what I mean? No, Paul. No, I, <laughs> no, I don't. Shannon, good morning. Good morning. Mine is use. Uh, Did use go downstairs or Ooh. whatever? Ooh. And it's from, I'm, t- I'm not I'm not lying. It's from Bruce County. My husband's from Bruce County. Shannon, wait, I love Bruce County. Don't get on my Bruce County peeps. I'm sorry. (laughs) When we hang out with those friends from up there, that's all you hear. And it's just like, wraps my ass, let me tell you. Oh, my, (laughs) Shannon. (laughs) But you've managed all these years. You and your husband are still happily married. 34 years. 34 years. Got him. Honestly, he doesn't say it in front of me, but when he's with his buddies, oh my God, it just comes out. That is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for the call. Okay. Bye. And thank you for putting up with those fine, fine folks from Bruce County. It's funny that Shannon says, you know, her husband's gotten good at not saying it around her. It reminds me of sometimes I'll come home from a weekend away on a hockey trip or a busy weekend at the rink, and uh, let's just say my language is a little more colorful at home. Listen, if you've been around a hockey arena for even a minute, you know that there is a certain language that gets thrown around quite a bit, and my beloved will say to me, you've been at the hockey rink a lot, haven't you? (laughs) That happens. But I love Shannon's use. I like to use that one like I... (laughs) Not use Y-O-U-Z-E. I like to use U-S-E, that one. Like I like to use ain't. I like to just throw it around to keep you on your toes. And I will even sometimes put in an email, Y-O-U-Z-E, guys, use guys. But I'm with you, Shannon. It is an outright abuse 
of the Queen's English for sure. Kyle, good morning. Good morning. I got two of them. Hey, hang on a second. What are you doing on my toll-free line? Uh, the other one was really busy, so I thought I'd try this one. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I, hey, Uncle talk? Ted is paying this bill. I love it. <laughs> hey, all right. So I got two of them. The first one is no worries. Like, Ooh. I really hate when people say no worries. Like, why would I be worried in the first place? Right. And and the second one is when people say, well, to be honest, like, what are you going to do, lie to me the whole time you talk to me? Oh, you know, I'm really, but admit it, right? I'm really bad for that, aren't I? Well, do you lie? No, like- but when I say, like, <laughs> if I'm going to be perfectly honest or I'm going to be honest with you, I say that all the time. I know I do. And I, I need to stop it. It's one of my crutches. I know. I guess it's pretty epic. But for me, I'm hey. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate the call. I'm going to try really hard, not just for Kyle, but because I know I overuse it uh, to to not say that as often. To be honest with you, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I promise you, I am always being honest with you. Honestly. Phil, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Mike. Mr. Phil, good morning, sir. What gets my call is when people refer to the word use. And I'm looking for female sheep. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Y-O-U-S true. Y-O-U-S compared to E-W-E-S. E-W-E-S. But wait a minute. There is no Y-O-U-S. That's what I'm saying. I got gotcha. you. Use people better be quiet. <laughs> the sheep's people better be quiet. Yes. Gotcha. Phil, thank you very much for the call. And that's a Perth Countyism right there. So Shannon was talking before about use being a Bruce County. I know Phil. I know where he hails from. And oh my goodness gracious, the stories I could tell about EUEU. But I'm going to have to save that for another day because lots of you want to weigh in on the flip side this morning. Donna, what word or phrase really chafes your chaps? Oh, my phrase is used quite often on TV on a news show. Take a listen. Have a listen. Drive me nuts. You know what, Donna? Because you're, you're there, you're watching and listening, right? You don't need to be told to take a listen or have a listen. Where am I going to take it to? <laughs> and can you really have a listen? No. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Donna. Really well said. <laughs> listen. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even mean to do that, but I just did. I hope this show is a great listen every day. Have a listen. You'll feel better for it by the end of the day. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more of the words and or phrases that really chafes your chaps. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We got a call earlier this week from Patty. It was kind of random. But Patty said, I would just like to express to you how much it bothers me when I hear you, Mike Farwell, and others use the word ain't as often as you do. And Patty's not wrong. I probably use it too much. So I'm going to work on that a little bit, but it gave me the idea for the flip side this morning, asking you what word and or phrase you would like to see us abolish. 519-570-2545, star 570, and one 800 570 Fifty-seven, fifteen. Vic, good morning. Hey, good morning, Mike. This is a great topic. This is fun. I'm glad you're having fun with it. I am too. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, uh, Pedro said something earlier, and it got me right away when he said, "Do you know what I mean?" is is way overused, right? Right. It it made me tie it into some Canadiana 
Trailer Park Boys, J-Rock, and he is forever yes. saying, know what I mean, know what I mean, know what I mean, if, if you're familiar with that. Oh, character. I am, and you're making me okay. laugh just thinking back on it, and, Vic. And uh, the best part is when Tyrone calls him out and says, that's too many know-what-I-means. <laughs> <laughs> Vic, I love it. Thanks for the memory and the laugh. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, enjoy the rest of your day. That is so good. And speaking of Canadiana, I'm a little late to this party too, but I have been thoroughly enjoying Letter Kenny. If you have not, please make sure you do, because much... <laughs> I'm just thinking back now on J-Rog, Bubbles and the Gang, on Trailer Park Boys too. Oh, my goodness. Okay, continuing along. Francis, good morning. Good morning. I'm... <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm one of those people from Bruce County. Oh, God's country. <laughs> it is God's country. Used people yeah. are awesome. Oh, I have a couple. The worst one is whatever. Whatever. A good good example. Oh, yes. It drives me nuts. And, and I shouldn't say two people that I know really use it a lot, so I won't mention. Uh, the other one good one is in Formosa, a guy on his tractor. This is going back about 60 years ago drove around a stop sign with his tractor. A cop pulled him over, and he, uh, the, uh, the farmer says, well, I schlacked up, and the, the officer said, it doesn't say schlack up, it says stop. I'm, I'm totally missing that, Francis. What am I missing here? Like, he, he was supposed to stop at a stop sign. Yeah, and he said he did what instead? He schlacked up. Schlacked up? Yeah, schlacked up. <laughs> oh gosh, I got Isn't you. That That's pretty bad, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, you have a great day in God's country. Yeah, and God bless. Thank Bye-bye. you. God bless you as well. I love Bruce County. I really love Bruce County. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Good. Uh, I have a question. So, uh, uh, woke. What does that mean to you? Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you what it means to me. It means on uh, every weekday morning when my alarm goes off, I'm woke and I'm not happy about it. You, you took the words out of my mouth because that's what it means to me, man. <laughs> like, uh, people go around and they woke. This is woke. I'm like, so are you just enlightened? Did you just wake up? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not quite sure why people keep using this word woke, but... Uh, Find another phrase. All right, Chris, I appreciate the call. It's a good one. It's one of the best slash most used insults of our day, isn't it? All right, uh, we're fresh out of time. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for playing along with us on the Words We Hate game here on the show this morning. Uh, We're going to get you an update from the City News Centre, and then it's the 12 o'clock talkback. Phone lines remain open to hear from you on the stories of the day, the things on your mind. Let's just have a conversation. I got a few things to share as well. Uh, Also, unfortunately, as we approach noon, that means it's the end of the time for Rogers TV today. So thanks to Robert and the team for producing the TV side of this show. They'll be back with us tomorrow from 10 until noon. And stay with us on City News 570 as the Mike Farwell Show continues. So long, Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage out of sight. Or you don't go out Friday night.
back. Please do. Talk back. It's the entire point of this hour. The 12 o'clock talk back, where we open the phone lines every day, consistently, at the same time. I had a meeting with management not long before Christmas. They said, Farwell, we think you're great. Well, they didn't really say that. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering it that way. But one thing you're not great at, they said to me, was consistency. And you know what? They was right. We had, we used to have all of these different opportunities through the week to allow you open line participation in the show. But it was like a hodgepodge, right? It was 11 o'clock one day. It was 1130 another day. It was noon the next day. Hey, hey, they said two things here. One, make it consistent. Two, give them more of it because clearly this is what they want. And so here we are. Every day, 12 to 1, open lines for the 12 o'clock talkback. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. few little things on my mind today that you might want to riff on a little bit. I'm just going back to a story I shared earlier about seeing a vehicle. Uh, the driver clearly had no idea which vehicles were around her when she sped right past, right past an OPP vehicle on the expressway yesterday. I had seen the OPP vehicle. I was already driving at a reasonable speed. The OPP vehicle passed me. And I was really enjoying watching the dynamic on the roads when, you know, people slow down around the OPP vehicle, don't they? Nobody's passing it except that one car that just blew right past and further on down the road, I thought for a while the car, the driver had been, had got away with one, wasn't going to get pulled over, but nope, eventually did when it was safer, I think, where there was a better shoulder and more room to do so. But Phil sent me an email earlier today, Mike at 570news.com and said, that's why I like photo radar. It takes away that opportunity for anything unsafe to happen on the roads. You're not taking up a lane of traffic, etc. Interesting idea there as to how the technology can be better employed and and make things safer. That driver, speeding for sure, would have just been issued a ticket in the mail. Fair enough. One of the other things that we were talking about earlier this morning was that shop clerk in Peterborough who staved off a would-be robber and that thief, that alleged thief, would-be thief, hit the clerk with a baseball bat. Struggle ensues. The clerk gets the baseball bat into his hands and then chases the would-be thief out the store, down the street, and then proceeds to hit back with the same baseball bat. The store clerk has been charged. And whether you like it or not, unfortunately, that's the way the law works. And I, I get the idea that we get excited about the prospect of exacting some vigilante justice here. But, well... It's not the way it works in the eyes of the law, as frustrating as things may be from time to time. But that's an interesting story anyway and and gives us a lot to consider. And then one other thing, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out, and maybe you can explain this to me because you're good at explaining things, but I'm trying to figure out why so many people have their knickers knotted over the idea that some service Ontario locations, you know, where we renew our driver's licenses and health cards, et cetera, are going to be closed And then instead, they'll be opened or they will become a part of Staples office supply stores. Look, I have no idea what the connection is between 
an office supply store and my driver's license. But quite frankly, I also don't have any idea what the connection is between my prescriptions and my postage stamps. But there is a Canada Post outlet in the pharmacy near my house. So isn't it kind of the same idea? As long as there's a dedicated line for the Service Ontario stuff, and I'm not waiting in the same line with somebody buying paper clips and three-ring binders to renew my license, the way I look at this is we're doing a pretty smart thing. We're going to save money on the buildings where the Service Ontario locations are right now. We're going to embed them within those Staples locations. Staples probably gets some sort of, uh, I don't know, finder's fee, something like that for allowing the space within their store, but I bet you that's a whole heck of a lot cheaper than some of these malls or standalone buildings where the Service Ontario locations are now. So, I don't know. That doesn't bother me none at all. I'll go to a Staples if that's what happens, as long as it's convenient enough too, but how many of us live really close to a Service Ontario center as it is? So, Anyway, to me, I don't mind it one bit. Some people do seem to mind it. Maybe you're one of the ones that does mind it, and you've got a a reason for that, and you can explain it to me. But for me, I'm like, meh, whatever. I got to renew my license anyway. If it's in a Staples store or in the mall where I've been going, what difference does it make to me? Just some thoughts on my mind. Let's go to the phones and start with Grant on the 12 o'clock talk back. Hello, Grant. You're laughing at me again. I always get so nervous when you laugh at me. I like that when you get nervous. Oh, yeah? You like me nervous, eh? All right. I should be your manager. I should be your boss. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine, Grant? Then you would be Grant ranting every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to touch on a couple of things. I think, and I did not know that Mr. Trudeau hires his own people to... uh, allow him to make the decision that it's okay for him to go on that extravagant vacation. I think the peop I think us people should be voting that person and not not Trudeau because he knows if he if he hires this person. So are you saying that Justin Trudeau hired the ethics commissioner? Right. I heard that on the Mr. Uh, Rob Snow show. Okay, well, Rob Snow would not steer you wrong then. I didn't actually know that. I must have missed that part on uh, Rob's show yesterday. So, And I hope Carson's Ray Cuff is coming back. I hope he's, his neck is all right. It looked like he was kind of playing around with his neck after that uh, thing. that was When he got hit in Sudbury. And then Mr. Motu, his wrist. I hope his wrist is doing better. What happened to Mr. Motu's wrist? I think he got the puck hit on his Oh, he came back, though, that same game. Yeah, but, you know, the wrist is... uh, That's true. Yeah. ...a sensitive area, right? (laughs) You're right, Grant. I appreciate the call. You know what that makes me think of? Because... By the way, Grant, and I think Grant knows this, but he likes to he likes to push the envelope. It's it's taboo to talk about injuries, like where the injury is. So both of those injuries would be described as upper body, just so you know. I also fully expect both of those players in the lineup tomorrow, but we shall see. We shall see. On the, the wrist thing, though, that just makes me think, because it is taboo to talk about what body part is actually injured. So we just go upper body, lower body, general body soreness, that sort of thing. But years and years ago, 
Rangers captain Mike Richards had an injured knee. And, of course, the team, not wanting word to get out, everybody knew Richards was injured. But nobody really knew it was his knee that was hurting. So what the team did was wrap up his wrist in bright pink tape and allowed media to take photos and report on this wrist injury to Mike Richards when the injury was actually very much on the lower body and they just wanted to distract people from what the real injury was. So even the moral of the story, my friend, the moral of the story is this. If a hockey team tells you what the injury is to a particular player, don't believe them. How's that? (laughs) I, I love you, hockey teams, all of you. Well, except the one. But that's the moral of the story. Okay, uh, Devin, am I going to do this? I can vouch. So this is on you. When I answer this phone line that says anonymous, yep, you, this is 100% on you. Everything, you know, if it all comes crashing down, it comes crashing down on me. Well, wait a minute. I got a mortgage to pay here. <laughs> okay, so you're going to pay my mortgage. And you're going you're gonna to go to the hearings to restore the license to this radio station if this goes sideways. Yeah. Okay. That's how confident Devin is. Boy, he must know I got a really good rate on my mortgage. Uh, Anonymous. Good afternoon. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. Not going to cost you your job. Just want to let you know. Uh, <laughs> you feel that I take too long when I call. If I was calling in to say one hockey player is better than another, I can express that in a few seconds. Uh, if I was to call in and discuss the stats of every game over the past week and compare these uh, this week's scores to the same period last year, it might take a little longer. Personally, I could care less about hockey scores, but apparently it's important to you and your listeners. When I call in, I'm often raising issues where people may not know the background. And as I only use facts, it might take a little longer to provide the background. Yesterday, I could have said that they called deer on Sydney Island and left it at that. But without the background, people would say, well, so what? So I provided some details. Now, on another topic near the end of the show yesterday... A listener named Mark called in to comment on my difficulties seeing my grandchildren, and I appreciate his comments. While I've been involved in politics for a long time, my deep involvement started in an effort to try and make changes to the family court system. And over these years, absolutely nothing has changed. As a result of corruption in the family court system, my son hasn't seen his kids for over 12 years, and neither have I. Time's quickly running out for me, but I hope that just maybe my actions might bring to light the issues in the family court and save other parents and grandparents from going through the same thing. So... I'm going to give you a break from me, leave more room for other callers. I'll, I'll leave it up to you to contact me when it times to settle up on uh, any outstanding bets. So you have a good day. My good friend, Anonymous, I hope you have a good day too. I'm coming to the fiddle. First round's on me. And listen, everybody knows that's Paul from Preston. I, I feel bad. It's not, it's not so much the time and because i'm i'm just as guilty as the next person right because sometimes i get a shiny object or i see a squirrel and i go off in a different direction so i'm aware of that i'm human too it's just sometimes i feel as though what took you four minutes 
to say could have been said in two. And then you could have another two minutes to fill up with really good, meaningful, easy-to-follow information. That's all. But And you, you prepare so well. You do. I just think sometimes we could do with a little less detail and a little more point. But I, I was a little short yesterday. We got to the point, which was that on Sydney Island out in British Columbia, deer are being called by contractors from America with rifles that are not allowed in Canada. We're paying them when hunter... And by the way, they're calling the wrong deer when hunters in Canada could be doing it. And they wouldn't even use those rifles that are illegal here in Canada under our gun laws. They would use something far more humane. Like that was the story. And I think I just summed it up roughly in about 30 seconds. We're going to take a quick break, which will only be about two minutes and 30 seconds, and we're going to come back with more of the 12 o'clock talk back, so keep the phone calls coming. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is the 12 o'clock talk back, where we open up the phone lines and give you the opportunity to talk back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Talking back's allowed. In fact, it's encouraged on this show. Don't you talk back to me. Raise your hand if you ever heard that when you were a wee lad or lass, huh? I know I did. 519-570. Shocking, right? Somebody warned me about talking too much. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1800-570-5715. Chris, good afternoon. Hello, Mike. Uh, Hello, Chris. How's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Sorry for double dipping today. You can double dip any day you want to. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Everybody else does. I'm... Why should you be any different? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've been told I'm controversial in Canada. Um, so I looked up woke, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. There, there's a law being passed in Manitoba with regards to pronouns in that if a student under the age of 16 wants to change their pronoun at school or legally, they have to go through the parent. That's right. Which, but that's being challenged as of this week. Which makes sense. These are young, impressionable adults. They're, they're not adults yet. They can't even drive. Um, I have an understanding that we were biologically male and female. I grew up when I was a teenager experimenting wearing dresses and I got made fun of. I did it partly to, uh, to be the entertainment and partly because I was curious. Um, I don't understand. So these people are being impressioned by larger portions of society rather than their family. And I have a problem with that when I, I'm all for love across the whole board regardless of who you want love love whoever you want be whoever you want and dress however you want i just have a problem with it being legislated you we are now if i come across and i misgender someone by accident i'm now at fault where am i supposed to ask them ahead of time i um i'm i really think yeah i'm i'm trying to grasp straws here because I'm really confused and I want to be enlightened, not woke. 
All right, Chris. I appreciate the call. You got a lot in there. And I understand how it's difficult for those of us of a certain vintage to navigate. I'll say this on the whole schools and not involving parents or not making it mandatory that parents be involved should their child wish to change their name and or their pronoun. And I said this before, and I was equally controversial, I suppose, as Chris started that call. I would just hope that somewhere along the path, parents get the opportunity to be involved. I understand completely that the child may feel as though the school is the safest place for them to do that, to be their true self. And I want the school to be that safe place. 100%, that's what I want. However, if it happens in the school and as an institution, that school doesn't think the child is safe at home, then I would like to know, I would like to be assured that the school is working with that family because the school is really just an extension of our community, right? So I would like to know that the school is working with that family to build acceptance, to make it a safer place in that home. Because otherwise, I worry that we've got the safe space at school, which is great. We've got the kid being themselves, their true selves at school, which is great. But now we're leaving these parents who just maybe don't understand. They just don't get it. They can't wrap their heads around it. And are we just saying they're not worth our time? They're not worth working with to bring them around to a more enlightened stage of their life, to use Chris's word? That's where my concern lies in all of this. We continue 12 o'clock talk back. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, how are you? By the way, when uh, folks are you know, complaining that you're telling them they're talking too long and, and they try to throw that back on you, it's your show. <laughs> I don't like, like to use, I hate to use that one. I try not but to, saying, but, but I guess. I'm saying it for you because <laughs> I know you don't. Thank you, Mike. Uh, you're too kind. Um, but here's the other thing. Sure. I have an idea to reduce the super long people who do, do not know how to land a freaking airplane. They can circle the airport forever, but they don't know how to land. And maybe instead of when they start the conversation, they call and say, hey, I got a couple things I want to talk to you about. Like, oh, my goodness. No, just one. One at a time. Call back later for the next one. But when they mix them all in, like, holy crap, we're getting really tired as listeners to the rambling. It's funny. You just talk to the one guy. I'm thinking, yeah, that's why I'm calling for. I'm calling to talk about the too long talking people. So anyway, you're not alone. And we see it and hear it. And uh, please find a way to tell them only one topic instead of five. All right, Mike, I appreciate that call. So I'll go into this a little bit more after the 1230 news because we're getting close to the 1230 news. But our our good friend, our dear friend Andre, might be the prime example. And I don't mean to speak ill of those who are not present currently, but producer Polly, we we had worked on this on the show. And Polly would remind Andre when he phoned up, Andre, you got to stick to a point. Because he's the, he's the champ of going around. He just goes in so many different directions, it's really hard to keep up. So we would remind Andre to just focus as best he can. And it's one of the toughest things for Andre to do. So we've been working on it, but I get it. And Mike, thanks for sharing that. Because we want to make sure that what we're presenting to you is easy to listen to, it's digestible, it's entertaining and informative. 
And we don't want to keep running around in a circle chasing our tail like my Rosie the Pandemic pup likes to do sometimes. I'll expand on that just a little bit more after this quick update from the City News Centre. And we continue on the 12 o'clock talk back hour where we want to hear from you. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. If you'll bear with me just to finish the thought sparked by Mike before the news update with Aaron around running around in circles when folks call in and maybe calls going on a little bit long because they're circling that airport, but they can't land the plane. I love the analogy by Mike. Here's the other thing that I think about. I've been doing this for almost 30 years, and I had a friend message me the other day because every day I put out a little video on social media. It just gives you an update of what's coming up on the show today. So I'm just hoping that if you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, maybe you see it, you hear something in that little promotion that you like, and you're going to tune into the show for that segment, or maybe it just reminds you, hey, Farwell's show is coming up, I should tune in which I love, and I'm trying to use all those mediums to get ears on this show because, quite frankly, that's how I put food in my belly. But my friend messaged me and asked, do you, do you have somebody holding cue cards for you, or are you reading off a teleprompter when you do that spiel every day? And I just kind of laughed and said, no, you do this long enough, and you can basically whip off a 60-second ad lib without too much difficulty because, again, 30 years. It's in the air chair every day. Just practice makes improvement, right? So... I am very much aware that when you're calling in, you're in a much different position, right? You don't do this every day. You haven't been doing this hours every day for many, many years. And getting to the point quickly might not be your specialty. We're going to work with you, though. We're all going to work together on this. And I hope you don't find it to be an intimidating thing because it reminds me of something else that I would really love. And that is stealing from... Now you know with Rob Snow, which is coming up in the afternoon from 1 until 3, just 30 minutes from now. But Rob loves his first-time callers. Me too. You know, Mike, who called before the break, I can't remember the last time I heard from him. I love hearing new voices. So don't be shy, and we'll work together, and we'll just have a conversation. Looking forward to hearing from you. It's the 12 o'clock talk back every day from noon until 1 here on the show. You don't have to be perfect at it, but practice makes improvement. So, you know, when you call often... You get better at it. 519-570-2545. Star 570. And 1-800-570-5715. Kyle, good afternoon. How are you now? Hey, <laughs> good. And you? Oh, not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Little letter Kenny, baby. I got it. I got it. That's, that's right. Um, I got like 20 things to talk about. No, no. no settle down. I only got one. Okay. I got a question for you. Yesterday was my analogy of 25.7 degrees, and it hit 25. Was I close, like Price is Right rules, or like like what is the temperature right now where you are? Ah, excellent question. Now, Price is Right rules are closest to the actual retail price without going over. You when went I was under. Yeah, you went, no, you went 25.7. I finished at 25.1. Ah! Oh. I know. I am currently at 24.3, and that's even with my door open. I have no idea what's going on in here. Oh, okay. Well, that's all I want to talk about. I just want to make sure. Okay. Uh, as long as you're not too moist in there, then it's all good. Right? Easy now. <laughs> have a good one, Mike. <laughs> you too, Kyle. Kyle bringing up a word that we talked about during the flip side today. If I never hear that word again, it'll be way too soon. Oh, my goodness. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. 
Cindy, good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Good. I just wanted to wish you a happy new year. Happy new year to and, you as well. And Rangers kick ass. And I love the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, Cindy, I think you and I just became best friends. Did we now? Uh, we did now. <laughs> These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> no, I just love Toronto Maple Leafs. They're doing awesome. You know what, Cindy? Yeah. You're absolutely right. Thank you very much for that phone call. You know, that reminds me of being out for a walk with Rosie the Pandemic Pup yesterday. And there was a lady on the sidewalk that was moving a little slower than we were. So we just walked out onto the little grassy area and walked by, and as I did, I noticed that she was wearing a toque with a Maple Leafs symbol on it. And so as we passed by, I said, I really like your hat, or nice hat, probably just nice hat. And she called past as I walked past, oh, you like the Leafs? I said, oh, do I like the Leafs? Let me tell you, do I like the Leafs? Does a bear do you-know-what in the you-know-where? Yes, I like the Leafs might be an understatement. Peter, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I want to compliment you on your delivery and your professionalism, being able to talk to many people, different groups, being optimistic and open-minded with the personal convictions they have on the various things and subjects that go on in the world today. It's fascinating to have someone who's local that uh, is on top of all the local things, whether they're controversial or not. Listen, if they weren't controversial, they wouldn't be any fun, right? Well, I, yeah, I suppose we can all live <laughs> in our little world. And uh, last time we talked, we were talking about 15-minute cities. And uh, I brought up to you uh, <clears throat> the Minto Township area and uh, the residents of Harriston. So I'm not sure whether you'll remember that or not. But uh, I appreciate every once in a while listening to your uh, ability to communicate. And so it's awful lots of fun. Thank you, Peter. I re- that's really kind of you to say. Thanks very much. You have yourself an awesome job and day, rather, and, and, and keep up the good work. I certainly will, sir. You have a great day, too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. I love me some Minto Township. I love me some Harriston. I'm not quite into Bruce County yet then, right? I think Mild May crosses me into Bruce County. I should, I'm not very good at geography, but I listen, who doesn't know some Harriston, right? Who doesn't know the Cedar Rail right there beside the Timmies in Harriston, Right. Exactly. One of my favorite places to stop when I'm out doing some motorcycling in the summertime. And great to hear from you, Peter. I do remember the conversation we had around the 15-minute city and you making reference to that lovely area of our province up in Minto Township. I always head up through Teviotdale, right by the, the gas bar there, the big orange sign out front. It's an Esso gas station. I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant. Shame on me. But anyway, continuing on up through there to Harriston. And then when you're in Harriston, like the options are endless of where you're going to go next. Anyway, great to hear from you. Thanks for being on the 12 o'clock talk back. Terry, over to you. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Mike. Um, are you still taking requests for your uh, free song or free tunes on Friday? All requests Friday, Terry. That's what it is. And you should have told Devin when you called in. But yes, say oh, it right oh, now. Oh, I have to ask him. Well, I didn't well, know that. he's the guy that plays the music, right? Okay. Well, you, you're a big Rush guy, right? <laughs> am I a big Rush guy? Yes, sir, about, I am. How about in one, on your, uh, in one of your intros, you played Bravado? Just because I love that song. Don't ask why. It just, just 
it's it's a it's a good song to me anyway. Okay, hang on a second now, Terry. You know, if you listen to this show pretty regularly, so you know I can't just let a comment like that go. Don't ask me why. Uh, yes, I'm going to ask you why. Just like I asked Lorraine before, how she ended up in Montana. You can't drop little jewels like that on me and not expect me to follow up. Why do you love bravado so much? I just like it. So it's, it's, it's a good tune. I, it just it, the melody is catchy. I don't know. All right. And and, and Neil Peart's uh, lyrics are outstanding. Uh, you, you know the song, right? Of course I do. But you could say that about every one of their songs, Terry. Well, but that one I don't know. It's just it's just okay. catchy tune. Just like nobody's here. I like that one too. But anyway, I I already see Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass. He's writing it down. So we've got Bravado by Rush on our all request list for tomorrow. Out of boy. All right. It, okay. You know, you could just play it for a few seconds. Anyway, you know, I. I Paul, Paul from Preston, you know, I, I love Paul. He, he's entertaining, and that's one of the reasons I listen to your show. But, Mike, if he has something against sports, then maybe you should resign from doing the Rangers broadcast. At, at night, 80% of the time when, when I tune into the radio station, there's a, either a Leaf game or a Blue Jay game or a Rangers game. Okay. So your, your, your station is affiliated to sports in some way. Yeah, but why, wait, hang on. If, if Paul doesn't necessarily like sports, why should I resign my position? Well, I'll tell you this, Mike. Uh, you probably talk about Justin Trudeau and other political figures probably 10 times to one to sports in general, correct? Am I correct on that assumption? Probably. I mean, I, sure. Close to it. But a lot of times when you're talking about Justin Trudeau, I just t- turn the dial. I don't want to listen to it. Maybe if, if you're talking about the Kitchen Ranger trade or, you know, Leafs this, Leafs that, maybe Paul should just turn his dial. That's what I do when they're talking about guns and Justin Trudeau. I have no interest in guns either. Don't get me wrong, Paul. I think you're entertaining as hell. I love listening to you, but I think there should be room for sports content. Otherwise, Mike, you should just resign as being the Rangers play-by-play guy because you don't want sports on your radio station. I didn't say that. I no, do Paul want sports. Did. Paul did. But 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 that there's no connection in my mind, Terry, between Paul not enjoying sports and me resigning one of my roles here at the radio station. There is zero connection there. But you could have told Paul, Paul, if you don't like sports, turn your dial. Yes, but I was I was allowing Paul just to express himself, and it's okay if Paul doesn't like sports. Okay, but, but no offense to Paul. I, I like I said, I, I tune into your, to your radio station to listen to Paul because I think he's entertaining. I mean, I I can go on a bit too long at times too. I I, I think everybody's pretty much guilty of that. Everybody? Have you ever heard George's calls? George, George is like twenty five seconds and out. That guy's a genius. George is quick. But then again, Mike, I like to keep it short, too. But sometimes, you know, you get, I, I do get off the rails. Like, I, I've been on hold now for 20 minutes. I mean, <laughs> and, and I'm on the go all day. I'm working. I'm not retired like some people. But, you know, but I do it because, uh, you know, I like to get on and, and talk sometimes, too. I like that you get on and talk. And you weren't on for 20 minutes. I have a little counter. It was like 12 and a half. I'm sorry it's been well, busy. We're up to 21, 24 right now, Mike. I, I just checked on myself. But anyway, I, it's neither here nor there. I just thought that... Uh, that uh, I'd make that point. But anyway, Mike, I already kept you on too long, so <laughs> have yourself a great day, all right? <laughs> all right, Terry. Thanks for the call. Terry just summed up, in my humble opinion, what this radio show is all about. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, hopefully not too much of one thing, right? We want to talk about the most topical things. I'll grant you that. So if it's in the news or it's happening you know, today, tomorrow, the next day, recently, we're going to be talking about it. But it's like a smorgasbord, just like that finest sausage and meats commercial I do. It's like a sausage smorgasbord. Thanks, by the way, finest sausage, for making me say sausage smorgasbord in a commercial. It's not as easy as it sounds, okay? I'll tell you that.
But really, what Terry says is really what I hope you do, right? That's why, again, I'll go back to that little video promo I put out every day to give you an idea of what's coming up on the show. I hope that at least one of those things sounds appealing to you. And maybe when you tune in for that one thing, you'll catch the tail end or of the previous thing or the beginning of the next thing. And you might think, huh, this is kind of interesting too. Because you're absolutely right. We are not going to be everything just to you. I hope you find a little bit of something that you like every single day. And maybe instead of turning the station when something comes on that you're not necessarily thrilled with, you'll just hang around, be a casual observer, a fly on the wall for that conversation. And then the next one that really puts a fire in your belly, well, heck, then you're going to get fired right up and we're going to have a conversation about it. It's kind of the way it works. But by all means, to Terry's point, if we move on to something that just doesn't do it for you, you have every right to change the channel. Can I ask a big favor, though? If you do that, and you certainly can, come on back, would you? I like it. Like, when you come back, I feel really good about that. I'd appreciate it. It's the 12 o'clock talk back, and we will continue right after this quick timeout. The Mike Farwell Show is on City News 570. Here's something kind of weird to me. I just took a sip of my coffee, which is still at least lukewarm in my travel coffee mug that I bring to work every day. But here we are at 1249, 11 minutes away from end of show, and I'm still sipping sipping a little bit of coffee. A couple of days this week, I mixed it up because, you know, I'm wild and wacky that way. And I brought tea with some honey instead of coffee. And and my tea is usually gone by nine o'clock. Like, do I do I sip it like in larger sips? I don't even. But how is it that the coffee is still here, but the tea disappears in the blink of an eye? I don't. It's like three hours longer. The coffee four hours longer. The coffee is here. The tea disappears by nine o'clock. Make it make sense. Uh, at one, we're going to get you an update from the city news center, of course, and then now you know with Rob. Snow and a couple hours of stimulating talk radio, including a talk back hour with Rob as well. We continue with our 12 o'clock talk back at 519 570 2545, star 570, and 1 800 570 5715. Grant, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What an intro, intro to uh, my first question for you. Yes, sir. Uh, what do you pay for a coffee? I'll tell you what I pay for a coffee. Zero dollars and zero cents. Or, to put it another way, the coffee that we really like, and I'll give an unsolicited shout-out to Blacksmith and Bean in North Dumfries. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful coffee, local. Uh, cost me fourteen ninety nine a bag at the grocery store, and I go through about a bag oh, a week. you don't buy it. No, I, listen, I am that guy, Grant, I am as cheap as the day is I long. Know, I know. Yeah. Well, what I'm getting at is... You mentioned about the hydro, your hydro bill going up. Yep. And you, how much it was. And I, I done some calculations, and I think the average coffee at a coffee shop now is about two fifty. That sounds about right to me. And uh, 
if you figure out 30 days on $75, that's about 260 a day for your hydro. Huh. So you're telling me that my hydro costs me about as much as a cup of coffee a day. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to try and do without it for a day? Do without my coffee? No, do without the hydro. <laughs> no, I would rather not do without either of those things, please and thank now you. I got another. My next uh, comment is, uh, or question, uh, when it comes to talking with the lawyer and pedestrian accidents. Oh, yeah. You know, and lighting, I had all different answers. When I was brought up, and uh, I think maybe it's a lack of education, you, you never cross a road until you stop, look, and listen. And I think the pedestrian is just as liable. It should be. And I wonder if the police ask the pedestrian as the investigation goes on, uh, did you stop, look, and listen before you uh, stepped off the curb, whatever? Uh, because that's uh, the vehicles are easier to see than... Uh, for the pedestrian than what the uh, pedestrian is for the vehicle, for the guy driving the vehicle. You know what, Grant? It's an excellent point. I really appreciate the phone call. We were raised the same way. Look both ways before you cross the street. When Grant says stop, look, and listen, I can't help but remember the little rhyme. I can't remember which grade I was in when it was taught to me, but stop, look, and listen before you cross the street. Use your eyes and use your ears, and then you use your feet. How I remember that to this day, I haven't the foggiest, but I think Grant's point is a really good one. Insofar as if you didn't see the vehicle on the road, uh, I'm not sure how I can help you because the vehicle is far easier to see than the individual who may not be in a vehicle. I would submit to you, Grant, that in these 38 pedestrian vehicle collisions we've been talking about since November, when there have not been charges yet laid against the driver or maybe not laid at all, that would suggest to me that it was an at-fault on the part of the pedestrian. Sometimes pedestrians get charged with crossing. I don't think they call it crossing illegally, but I think you know what I mean by that. One of the other things that came from our conversation today about those pedestrian vehicle collisions, and I hadn't thought of before, so thank you for bringing the idea into my mind. The way that we have changed lighting in this community, going to these LED lights on our, as our street lights, I know we're saving money. We're not, they don't cost as much to continue operating, but boy, oh boy. They're also not illuminating things the way that the old street lamps did. And maybe, just maybe, that's playing a part in what's been going on lately. The bottom line, the most important thing to take away from all of this is when you are on the road, no matter which mode of transportation you are using, please, please be very responsible for your actions. And that goes especially to those of you who are behind the wheel of a vehicle. Be aware of your surroundings. Take your time. Make sure you're drinking it all in while you're drinking your coffee as you drive. Kathy, good afternoon. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. More 
on the vehicle pedestrian things. I think you summed up that very, very well. Thank you. When you have this amount of action going on in a short period of time, there has to be more than one thing at play here. And the other caller mentioned one of the words that I was going to mention. The pace on the roads or the streets in the city, I call it frantic. People do not know how to slow down, and they certainly do not know what the word stop means. That's number one. Number two, the LED lighting. All intersections are not created equal with that. Some of them illuminate not too badly, others not very well. There's no consistency on that. Um, Thirdly, I think there are far too many drivers and far too many pedestrians who have their um, little device attached to their body, and they are looking at that and not paying attention to the safety issues that they should be dealing with. But the other thing, a lot of our newer vehicles now have those really bright LED light bulbs that can really, the glare of those can blind some people. And that can be a problem. But the other thing, a lot of new vehicles out there, when you put your turn signal on, your full headlight goes out. So you turn right, you do not have a full headlight on the right-hand side. I actually like that, though, Kathy, because it really draws attention to the fact that your signal is on and you're turning. But it also blocks your view as to where you are turning to. It doesn't illuminate it like it used to. Well, I would hope... Yeah, I get it. I would hope that you can make the turn without that bulb. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put it all together, and I can tell you that headlight that goes out in the country where there are no lights at all, that's rather interesting. All right, Kathy. I appreciate the call, and I know you are one of our rural listeners, and thank you for bringing that forward. Just quickly on the point that uh, Kathy made around stop signs, I got a lot of feedback about that when we had the conversation this morning about pedestrian vehicle collisions and how stop signs seem to have become stoptional across the board. It's a great reminder. Drives me bananas, too. They're not stoptional. Hello? It's a stop sign. You are to come to a stop and then make your next maneuver. My next maneuver is getting the H-E double hockey sticks out of here. Uh, It's time to make way for Now You Know with Rob Snow. He's coming up between 1 and 3. We're going to get you an update from the City News Centre at 1, just over uh, two minutes from now. As I look ahead at our show tomorrow, ooh-wee, do we have a show for you. Our Friday 4 Roundtable returns for 2024. We'll have the 12 o'clock talk back. Again, of course, our brand new feature, which debuted with a splash last week, Living Retired, will be here. Also, Ontario universities, including a couple in Waterloo, in financial difficulty. We'll talk about that. And we will also meet our next Ward 10 candidate in the city of Kitchener. All of that coming up on the show tomorrow. Hope you'll join me for that. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.